Bombay Sapphire. I'm very eloquent. Smooth. It's really smooth. So we're ma- waiting on Marco. Waiting on Marco. Polo. Polo. Marco is not texted back yet. So did you have another um, long range course this weekend? Let's do this. Let's go ahead and start, and we'll we'll talk All about right. that. You can tell us about your advanced uh, class while we're waiting on Marco there. So there we go. All right, Leadheads, welcome back to another episode of the Talking Lead AK Corner. This is your August edition of the Talking Lead AK Corner, season five. And uh, we have we have been bringing you all kinds of awesome information about those com block rifles, ammunition. And this episode, we're going to be talking about long range or sniper and or sniper rifles. And I brought the experts along to educate us, also known as Leducation. So uh, you've probably been on just about every episode this this season, haven't you, Paul? Oh all no, I wasn't on last month. You were, weren't you on last month? No, because you mm-hmm. were doing your long range class when we were, I think, recording last month. No, I no last month I was doing the uh, the PFT training camp. That's what it was. Yeah, we were doing the Patriot Fire Team training camp out here. Yeah, so. you were busy doing something, but uh, yeah, we were, since we were doing training, since then you've had a couple of long range rifle courses out there in the Utah or Wyoming. Where you doing that? Wyoming in Wyoming. Wyoming? Yeah, and we're going to talk a little bit about um, your advanced course that you just recently did. Uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, Professor Paul Markle, student of the gun, joining us this episode. There he is. You know him. You love him. And coming back for a second dose, I guess he didn't get enough uh, from last week's episode. <laughs> but, uh, we are glad to have him back, ladies and gentlemen. Jared Johnson with STA Blades, not to be confused with Greg. Try. <laughs> right. uh, I'm I'm never gonna let you forget that. I'm gonna start calling you Righty if you start calling me Greg. Start calling me Righty. <laughs> I like that. So, uh, Greg, with STA Blades, you guys uh, go back to Jared. Jared. See, Jared. I said Greg again. See, yeah. Jared with STA Blades. Make sure you go back to last week's episode. And we had an awesome discussion on Jared's methods and styles that he uses to make his blades. And we had a lot of good information on metals and heat treating. And uh, we got into all kinds of interesting topics there. So for all of you that are interested in blades, go back, check that episode out. And I think that's going to kick off a series of uh, episodes that we're going to have dedicated to sharp, stabby, pointy, cutty things. So, Jared, welcome in. Thank you very much. Now, Jared, the reason that you're on this episode is that you also have a relative or relevant background to our subject matter. And we didn't talk much about it on the the last episode that we had had you on, uh, but tell everybody a little bit about uh, your particular expertise for this episode. Okay, yeah, I went in the Marine Corps and I spent about eight and a half years in the Marine Corps, 
uh, most of which I spent as a scout sniper, as what they were referred to in the Marine Corps. Uh, the scout sniper programs that I was in involved several schools, uh, different training and things like that. Over the years, uh, you don't just go through one school and then you're you're done. So there's there's multiple schools that you have to progress through. Uh, special operations training group or some some of the inner operations that we go through with other units like Navy SEALs and Force Reconnaissance Marines. Uh, getting us ready for deployments overseas, black side and green side missions and, and things like that. And that's kind of where all my precision rifle experience stemmed. And once I got out, I took, uh, I took a job in the firearms industry working for Leupold and Stevens. And I ran their military and law enforcement division uh, for the Western states. And that's when I got into optics and things like that. When you, when I realized I didn't know anything about optics, uh, you know, the military teaches you the very basics. You're not allowed to touch and take apart stuff. And so uh, I got a good, a, a good eye opening experience into the, the world of optics. Um, after working in the firearms industry for a while, I started working as a security contractor overseas with state department contracts, as well as doing maritime anti-piracy operations, which is where I was utilized more as a, as a designated marksman Very slash cool. you know, sniper. And uh, that's where I actually got into using a lot of the comm block type weapon systems uh, actually on deployments and things like that versus just fam fires and, you know, op four exercises and things like that. Nice. So how many years did you do the anti-piracy? Probably about five or six years, maybe. And would you go if they called you right now? <laughs> would you go on a mission? If it gets me out of this Texas heat, I probably would. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, you know, it, it wasn't as glamorous and glorified as everybody thinks it is. It's, it's, we, we called it, you know, Lance Corporal work for Colonel Pay. So it was pretty, it was pretty good. How many encounters did you have? Um, I don't know. I mean, we had several encounters, uh, which, you know, doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, boats are sinking in the water or anything like that, but you know, it was, it was a couple times. Let me rephrase the questions. How many times did you, did you get to fire your weapon? <laughs> um, we had one encounter that was, that was a good one. That was, that was probably the most memorable, but, um, you know, it's not a lot of shooting. It's a lot of observing and it's a lot of, you know, reporting and, and, and preventive measures. You know, if most of the time, if we do our jobs right, we can, we don't have to get into a firefight or anything like that with, with the skiffs and, and things like that. You know, the last ship I was on, it, it the ship physically took rounds. Um, and, you know, that's one of those things. It doesn't happen very often, but that's why you have security on there. Right. And which um, rifle did, were you carrying at that time? I probably I went away from sniper rifles if I could towards the end of my time. So I was probably running either like an M4 with like a one to six or a one to four power on it, or you know a foul or something like that. I I don't remember. Yeah, how long ago was that? Probably like 2015, maybe. Gotcha. Gotcha. Almost almost 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a while. Nearly 10 years ago. Well, very cool. Very cool. So we'll, we'll talk more about your experience with uh, 
with these these firearms. Hey, Leadheads, Dwight Settle with Seal One. Just here to talk to you and tell you a little bit about our product. Seal One CLP Plus is a bio-based, non-toxic product. It comes in a paste, liquid, aerosol, and pre-saturated bore-specific patches called Seal Skins. They all do the same thing, just different methods of application. The best way to use our product is to start with a clean firearm. And there's two reasons why I say that. First, you start with the Seal One CLP Plus by field stripping your firearm and covering the entire firearm inside and out, bore, barrel, everything with the Seal One CLP Plus. You'll see how easy it spreads around. You'll want to wait about 15 to 20 minutes, then you come back and you want to wipe it all off. So you see how easy it is to put on and remove. And the second reason we say to use a clean firearm is you'll find that it's not clean. We're gonna pull out more carbon that's been left behind with whatever product you've been using before. Okay, it takes about three cleanings. So I like to say a clean shoot, clean shoot, clean shoot, just normal usage before the Seal One CLP Plus has removed whatever product that you were using before and has seasoned the firearm. It's kind of like breaking in a cast iron skillet. And after that first cleaning, you will notice a difference. And with each successive cleaning, you will find that it gets easier and easier to clean. Seal One CLP Plus is a dry lubricant and is designed to work as such. You will find that malfunctions are virtually eliminated when used properly because the majority of all malfunctions are caused to carbon buildup. And with the Seal One CLP Plus, the carbon does not build up. Seal One CLP Plus is safe on all metals, plastics, composites, polymers, rubber, wood, and leather. Seal One CLP Plus is a one-and-done formulation. No other products are required or needed to clean and lubricate and protect your firearm. That's why we say Seal One and Done. Seal One is a proud sponsor of the Talking Lead Podcast and the Leadhead Brigade. Use the code LEADHEAD for a 25% off discount. We're actually killing a little time because we're waiting on Marco. Marco's supposed to be joining us. So Hello. Marco is MIA. Uh, but, Paul, you, um, we did talk about one episode. I don't know which episode it was, but we did talk about the Marshman long-range course that you did, didn't we? The first one, the initial one? I thought we did. Um, I don't know. It, would, it wouldn't have been this year. It might have been last year. Okay. So, Paul's had a couple of long-range courses. Uh, courses that he has put on over the past month or so. So he did a, a basic and he did a advanced one this past weekend. So talk about the courses there that you put together there in Wyoming to teach long range shooting. Yeah, we call it a high elevation precision rifle or HEPR. Oh, excuse it's a cool me. Acronym. What? I said, oh, well, excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, it, 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 it's funny because I, I saw that actually written. And I was like, ooh, ATPR. Yeah, that sounds like a military acronym that you would use, you know, the HEPR. But uh, people ask, well, what's what's the difference? Well, the difference is bullets do different things at 7,300 feet than they do at sea level. And uh, you can you can really cheat with rifle bullets uh, when you get up high. You can stretch it out. Uh, normal rifles that you might not be able to get to 1,000 just because of, you know, physics, yeah. uh, you, can, you can get to 1,000. We had a guy this weekend uh, using a bolt action 308, and he was loaded with 175 grain uh, bolt tip hollow point, and uh, we got him regularly whacking target at 1400. Oh, nice! So, 
Yeah, you're probably not going to get that at, at, you know, 100 feet above sea level or sea level because the, the atmosphere is just too dense. Yeah. Uh, but at high elevation, and, and of course, when you get west of the Mississippi, especially when you get out here into the plains and the mountains, uh, it's wide open. You know, the opportunity to shoot a thousand yards for most people who are citizens uh, east of the Mississippi is pretty limited. Uh, most, you know, let's face it, most public ranges have a 100 or a 200 yard rifle range. Yeah, you're lucky to get and, 200 and, around here. Yeah. And if it's longer than that, it's, it's fancy and it's a private range and, you know, stuff like that. So, uh, our range in Wyoming, uh, goes out to a mile. So we've got, we've got berms at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven thousand, fourteen hundred and a mile. And we try and get people, you know, we, we focus on the fundamentals because if you can't, you know, shoot an inch at a hundred, you're wasting your time at a thousand. You're just wasting ammo and time. So, uh, you know, we, we teach people. We have the goal of the class is to gain confidence in your skills and your equipment and to get to know your equipment and to understand your equipment. And most people, you know, most people will zero a rifle at a hundred and then they just do the holdover technique. Uh, very, very few people will actually dial uh, or work the, you know, work the elevation in their heads. And you can do that if you're in the East Coast, you know, and you're going to take a 127 yard shot. But if you're going to take a 400 yard shot or a 600 yard shot, um, it, it's way better to dial than it is to guesstimate. And so we teach them how to do that, to work, you know, to work with their scopes, to actually figure out the elevation, figure out the dope. Um, and dial to whatever. And, you know, depending on what they bring, some people bring two, two threes. So the, there, there is a physical limitation to that. The people with two, two, three rifles aren't going to be shooting a thousand yards. That's just the way it is. How far uh, are uh, the, the people shooting in your class? How far are they going? Uh, well, we had, we got people all the way out to a mile, uh, this year. On two, two, three? Oh, no, no, not with two, two threes. Yeah. How uh, far were the two, two, two threes, three people going? We, 500 yards is is easily doable if if people you know know what they're doing um 600 yards is doable 800 yards is actually doable uh trying to get the report back on an 800 yard steel target uh with a with a little 22 caliber bullet even if it's 77 grain is a little it's a little challenging uh but we've got good spotters for stuff like that what's but, uh, what kind uh, of spotters are you using Oh, I, I actually, I've got a 120 millimeter spotting scope, so I can, I can spot the moon if I need to. <laughs> uh, what, uh, what brand is that? It is a, it's an unobtainium. An unobtainium. Is it something you just, uh, rigged up yourself? No, you no, You took no, a no. telescope and pieced it together and. No, it's, it's actually it's actually a, a really good scope that I got back in the olden days, like I said, when I was writing for Dead Tree Magazines. And uh, the company has since gone out of business. So, you know. Well, apparently it's a pretty good one if you still have it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The funny thing is I got it. Because they quit printing magazines, what, about 100 years ago? Something like that. <laughs> Them like that. Hey, Ot six. They a lot of our listeners don't magazines. know what a magazine is. They think it's something you stick in a gun. Yeah, it's like you put in a gun. It's not a clip. It's a magazine. Yeah. Are you reading clips? What's wrong with you? Yeah. So <laughs> you know, we we 
we've been we've been doing the long range, the high elevation precision rifle now for since 2017, and uh, for the last couple of years, people were asking us if we would, uh, you know, the graduates if we would do an advanced one. So we put an advanced one for the first time this year, and the prereq is to is to go through the basic class, and uh, you know we get them on because obviously they've been there before, and uh, generally they're pretty spun up. So the very first day, you know, we get them on. We we just confirm dope, confirm hundred yard dope, and then start dialing. And you know, within the first two hours, the guys with the, with the big rifles like three hundred eights and the six five Creedmoors and stuff like that, those guys we had those guys on a thousand uh, in the first couple hours. Oh, nice. And, and then you know, I, I I shoot I do challenges. Not everything is a known distance target. What I'll do is I'll. I'll shift them over to the other side of the range where I've got camouflage. I got steel silhouettes that are out there and they're camouflaged and they're at unknown distances. So they've got to find them. They got to locate them. They got to range estimate them with their brains. We don't let them use lasers. We got to, we make them, you know, range estimate. Uh, and then use references. You know, yeah. Use references, you know, the football field reference landmarks, or, you know, stuff things like, like that. that. Yeah. And, and then, and then dope to them and engage them. So, and I have them shoot from un, unusual shooting positions. I have them, you know, we don't, uh, ver- there are a couple of times when I have them shoot from the bench, but the majority of the time they're either proned out, they're on a mat, uh, or they're in some, one of some type of shooting position, like a, right. uh, a modified kneeling or modified sitting or something now, like that. Jared, don't call me Greg. If you got comments or want to say something, feel free. Just, just jump in. That's how we do it here. Thank you. Yes, sir. Yeah, he's he's vetting me right now. He's like saying, hmm, "Let me see if I if I believe this guy." <laughs> uh, so, Jared, we, Marty didn't mention it, but there's two jarheads on the show right now. Uh, when wow. did you go in? Uh, 1994. Okay, I went in in '87. Nice, nice. He's a little older than you. Yeah. yeah so I, well, said he's a little older than you. Yeah, I am a little older. Finally, but, so. uh, yeah, so I don't know if I, I don't know if Marty knows what uh, surveillance target acquisition is, but I'm assuming that's where the the SDA and your knives came from. Yes, sir. Look at Paul. Paul putting two and two together, baby. Dude, I, I was there. I know that. I know the drill. I know the deal. Were you West Coast or East Coast? I was West Coast. I was. I spent most of my time in Third Battalion, First Marines. Okay, I was a six Marine, so you didn't okay. spend any time at Stone Bay or Lejeune or no. anything like that. Okay. No. They got that lawsuit uh, for Lejeune. If you're ever stationed at Camp Lejeune, there's a class action suit. If you're stationed there up to nineteen eighty seven. Is that what it is? Yeah. I've been getting the letters. I was there for infantry school in eighty seven. That's the only time I was I was on Geiger for infantry school. I got you. But I've been getting the letters for twenty years, twenty five years, thirty years. I'm getting the letters. If you drank the water, so yeah, it was the water. That's what it was. I was trying to remember yeah, what it was, but it was, yeah, it was the water. Yeah, there was, it, it, fuel leaked into the water supply, and, and surprise. Yeah, that's gonna make your insides not so healthy over the years. Yeah, yeah shocking. Well, it's because every base is is on land that no one else would have wanted, so the government picked it up for five dollars. Like Paris Island's a swamp. You know, Twenty Nine Palms is a desert. It's a high desert where nobody wants to be. Yeah. Lejeune is mostly swamp, marsh, crappy plate, you know. I think Camp uh, Pendleton's the only exception to that because I'd take Probably the only one, you know. 
they, that, that, the, the army has some some fancy bases, but most of the the normal army posts like Fort Sill, um, right. the, the no one wants better, to be there. They have, they have better international bases like Germany and Italy and and all this stuff, you know. Yeah, around the world. Yeah, so, so do you spend any time in Oki, in Okinawa? No. No, no, yeah, we no. pretty much gave up on Okinawa when when the global war, uh, uh, the global failure on terrorism started. So, uh, yeah, we're like, yeah, we don't need to go there anymore. Uh, yeah, that's but that's where I was. I was uh, Okinawa doing. Uh, I was in CTA doing jungle warfare when okay. Saddam. So when Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait, we came out uh, of the jungle, and they're like, "All right, here's the deal: jungle warfare is off." Desert warfare is on. Everything you just learned does not apply. Learn quick. We're going back to Vietnam handbooks. Well, we're from Vietnam handbooks, and we're going back to old school, old school handbooks. Back. We're going to the North African. We're going to go to the North African plan. We're reading up on the French Foreign Legion tactics quick. Yeah. Well, we actually had been there. We uh, we did CACs in February of 90 right so we did CACs in february of 90 and then six months later we deployed okinawa and i remember being in CACs doing the doing the you, you, you i'm sure you did a CACs, right yeah 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 so you, you do the 30-day CACs, and you're out there and i remember doing the three-day war the the big hoo-ha at the end right just laying laying there in the desert you know behind some rocks staring out at miles and miles of open territory Right. And I said to the dude next to me, I was like, dude, if we ever go to war, I hope it's not in the desert because there's no place to hide. And what do you know? Exactly yeah. 12 months later, I was laying in the desert, staring on across there. I was, I was, uh, 0351 anti tank okay. assault. Yeah. 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 So let's do this, guys. So I just tried calling Marco. He didn't answer. So he's MIA. Don't know what's going on. Hope he's okay. Um, but let's uh, let's go ahead and get started with the main. I thought we did get started. You did get started. You guys were telling some great war stories there, um, but that's not why people are tuning in. They want to they want to learn more about some of the com block sniper rifles. And See, thought, we're screwed now because Marco's our expert. I know, so we're gonna have to yeah, wing this. To gonna, talk about stuff that's knowledgeable now. <laughs> I'm gonna have to rely a lot on Wikipedia. I, I think I faked my I faked my resume to get on here because you told me there was gonna be a Spetsnaz dude on here. So. <laughs> I wasn't gonna have to talk much. He, he yeah, I was. Up. I was gonna tell him that uh, that Nick Orr, Nick Orr featured or uh, mentioned him in the new book. Man, yeah, the I know that the, new, the awesome. new book. So Nick Orr's got a new on, book on, out for you, Nick Orr yeah. fans. Nicholas so Orr, you fans of the Pipe Hitters Guides. There's a brand new one. It just dropped today. The book just dropped today. Today being August Amazon. the eighth. As we're recording this, you're not going to hear it till the 15th. Our listeners won't. Well, all right. So, well, so it's available. It's, it's out. You can go to Student of the Gun. You can go to Amazon. Well, yeah, Amazon paperback and Kindle. Uh, read we, uh, Student of the Gun doesn't. Do you want to read, read the passage that mentions him, or do you want to surprise people with? Yeah, it? I'll, I'll, no, I'll, I'll read it right here. It's uh, page 52. It says, "Those with a sincere hunger for AK history and knowledge." should consider the book AK-47 Survival and Evolution of the World's Most Prolific Gun by Marco Vorbiev. Marco Vorobiev. Is it Vorobiev? I call him Vorobiev. Marco yeah. Vorobiev, 
is a former Soviet Spetsnaz soldier, a talented gunmaker, and a noted expert on all things AK. So that's from the uh, Pipefitter's Guide to Small Arms and Weapons by Nicholas Orr, available now uh, on Amazon as paperback or a Kindle version. So that's not there's a, even a section in here on AKMs and AK forty sevens. That's not a non. That's a not a fiction book. That's a nonfiction book. It's a nonfiction book. Okay. Yeah. So a lot of his work it's is part of the, fiction. Part of the pipe hitter series. Yeah, it's part of the pipe hitter series. Okay. There you of go. Books. And there's a fresh outlet head. So go go check that out. Get your copy today. Who's uh yep. who's who's doing the audio version of that? <laughs> that would be no one. <laughs> right. It's like whoever reads it. That's the audio version, right? Yeah. Whoever buys it and reads just, it out loud. Just just talk out, speak out, read out loud. If you want an audio version, pick up the book and read out loud. So what justifies a sniper rifle? What makes a sniper rifle a sniper rifle, would you guys say? And I'll, we'll start with Jared. Okay. Well, the Marine Corps defines a sniper as a Marine highly skilled in fieldcraft and marksmanship who delivers long-range precision fire, on selected targets from concealed positions in support of combat operations. So if that's what a sniper is, a sniper rifle should be something that is accurate enough to support that. And basically the two weapon systems that we had in the sniper platoons were the M40 uh, sniper rifle and the M82, which is now the, M, uh, the M107, the Barrett 50 cal, which was designated as a Sasser which is a special application scoped rifle, contrary to what people think it's the semi-automatic sniper rifle, but the Barrett did not shoot a minute of angle. It was not a minute of angle gun. So it was not classified as a sniper rifle. So to me, a sniper rifle is something that can shoot a minute of angle or better and actually hold that, uh, like Paul said, out to, you know, 800 meters or whatever kind of the realistic capability of that caliber and that weapon system. So if, if you don't have an angle rifle, uh, it's not necessarily going to be the best sniper rifle. Okay. Paul, what would your definition be? Well, if you look at, if you look throughout history, if you don't just use the Marine Corps definition, uh, any rifle in the hands of a skilled rifleman is can be a, a sniper rifle. I mean, we had, they didn't call them snipers, but they were snipers in the, the Revolutionary War. Marksmen. You know, they call them designated marksmen or, or uh, designated riflemen. They had special rifle platoons because the standard issue was a musket because you could load muskets fast because they didn't have rifling. So you could just dump the powder, boom, 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 and you get three shots off in a minute. Whereas a rifle, uh, you have to hustle to get one shot off in a minute. Um, but yeah, there were, uh, I was just reading about the, uh, the battle of Cowpens today and, and how the, uh, the commander, the field commander specifically sent out his riflemen and told them when, uh, when you see the officers, take them out. Uh, and that's exactly what they did. So they were functioning as snipers. I mean, we had snipers, uh, in, you know, the, and, and of course their, the weaponry at the time, uh, supported that because that was the best thing they had, like a Kentucky long rifle. Uh, in the American Civil War, uh, they had, when they had advanced the, the, uh, what they call the Minet or the mini bullets, the mini balls, the Minet balls, uh, with their, uh, Springfield muskets. Mm -hmm. They were actually working on glass back. They were working on very rudimentary scopes all the way back to the Civil War. 
But if you look at uh, encounters such as the Troubles in uh, Northern Ireland, does anybody remember the Troubles anymore? Nobody remembers. Probably well, not. Well, yeah. th- the IRA was using anything as a sniper gun. The IRA had snipers, uh, and they were using they were using iron sighted guns. Uh, they were using hunting rifles. They were using uh, anything they could get their hands on to just hide in Belfast or, or wherever in the surrounding areas. And now their sniper shots were 150 yards. Or if they were had a really good concealed position, 100 yards or 87 yards. Um, so a sniper ri- rifle, it can be anything, but if you're talking about, you know, can I put one round on target, on demand, uh, all the time, regardless of the circumstances? The better the gear, the better the equipment, the better the optics, um, the better able you'll be able to do that. <clears throat> but look, look at the Russians. So let's talk. I mean, we can start talking if you want about the the grandpappy of of Soviet sniper rifles. Well, we'll get that, into that, but we mo- kind of want to do this, right. just a little background history of the the sniper rifle itself. So. Um, I think you guys gave pretty good definitions there. Sniper rifle, high precision, long range. Uh, it needs to be accurate, reliable. Mobility is taken into consideration. And of course, the optics. Um, and it's used for the uses, like you guys pointed out, anti-personnel, anti-material, which would be more what that big old Barrett's used for, taking out um, vehicles and, and larger gear. mechanical yeah, objects. Um, canteens. So, and then, of course, I'm I'm going through the uh, the Wikipedia here. The modern sniper rifle is a portable shoulder-fired rifle with either bolt or semi-automatic action. It's fitted with a telescopic sight for extreme accuracy and chambered for high ballistic performance. So that's that's kind of well, their their definition of it. Um, the history of sniper rifles. Where where would you think sniper rifles? kind of surfaced you think it'd be around civil war before the civil war revolution oh before that you know during the rev war uh essentially as as soon as 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 man figured out you you know cut grooves into the barrel and that'll make the ball spin and we make the ball spin it goes straight so the whitworth rifle uh is arguably the first long-range sniper rifle in the world is designed in 1854 by Sir Joseph Whitworth, prominent British engineer. It used barrels with hexagonal, polyagonal riflings, which meant that the projectile did not have to bite into the rifling grooves as with conventional rifling. His rifle was far more accurate than the pattern 1853 infield, which let me pull my screen up here as for our, our viewing audience, I can pull this up. So they can see what I'm talking about here. So this is the the Whitworth, and it's a muzzle loading. You know, you were talking about the the muzzle loaders earlier, Paul. How how quickly they could do a non-rifled versus a rifled. Um, this was a non-rifled, according to their um, description mm-hmm. of it. And it, and what year was this? This was 1850 something. Let's see what it said. 1854 is when it was designed. So it was just before the the invention of the cartridge, the widespread use name, because right. we were using cartridge firing rifles in the Civil War. Yeah, and it was used in the Civil War. If we go through here and read, I don't 
think that sniper rifles were necessarily a thing in the Revolutionary War. I think we had marksmen and some sniper yeah. or marksman tactics, but the rifle was the rifle. Well, they and weren't so calling I, it a sniper I, rifle, you know, at the time. And, and like Paul's pointed out earlier, anything can really be a sniper rifle. You know, it's just it's just what what its yes, intended no. use use is for. But the sniper actual term sniper sniper rifle didn't come until sometime later. They were called. Uh, either riflemen or designated marksmen or marksmen. Right. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, you, you have cone of dis- you have cones of dispersion, right? So your if your ammo only shoots this good, your rifle only shoots this good, your scope's only this good, and the shooter's only this good. The gun can only shoot so good when when everything's perfect. So to say that any rifle in the hands of a sniper can be a sniper rifle. I don't necessarily agree because I've had dozens of different types of weapon systems issued to me that I would never consider to be a good sniper rifle. Will it work? Like Paul said in in Ireland at 150 yards. Yes. Is it going to be something that you can make a first or second round hit at 600 yards, 800 yards with a limited exposed target? Probably not. So, my definition of it is a little bit different, which is fine. Um, sure. Because I've been, I've been issued the jump guns that just don't shoot. If the gun doesn't shoot and the ammo doesn't shoot, it, it's not a precision weapon. Uh, what was the name of, and it's, it's, they called him the White Death. It was the Finnish sniper in World War II. Yes. The guy, the guy what was that dude's name? The, the sniper, the Finnish guy? Yeah. I've got him the right Finn, here. The, he's famous. Like, he was in, they called him the White Death. This guy right here. Yeah. Simo Haya. Yeah, Simo Haya. Yeah. Uh, I believe that Simo Haya, if I'm correct, used it. Did he use a Nagant? He used the Mosin Nagant, the, um, the one Which, that the, the Finnish, Finnish, the Finnish version of it. The Finnish yeah. Nagant was a much more accurate weapon than the Russian Mosin. Yeah, so he used the Seiko M twenty eight thirty with iron sights, no, no less. And he had yeah. some unbelievable five hundred and five confirmed kills against. I wish Marco was here. The Red Army. <laughs> yeah, and if you break down the variables, okay, if he's got five hundred kills. All right, we're talking about a war where first aid was almost non-existent. So most most kill shots or most shots that killed someone might not have been considered a kill shot to today's standard. And how many shots did he take that were not hits because of the inaccuracy at distances because of that stuff? We know what he, we know what he killed, but we don't know what he didn't kill. Right. So there, there's so many variables in that. And, and the only reason I'm saying that is because like, I, I wouldn't jump on it just to say like, that's a good sniper rifle. Cause the dude had 500 kills. Well, at the time, you know, the, they didn't have Barretts and and all that. So this is probably, you know, top of the top of the technology world there when they when they had this. So it was probably the best thing right. they had available what I'm at the time. Is, is a, a leg shot is a bleed out back then, right? So like maybe he was aiming for the chest and he hit him in the leg. Maybe you know what I'm saying? Like the 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 death toll. There, there's I don't barrels. know, man. He's got 505 confirmed kills. I don't care how he <laughs> got him. He got him. So no, I, no, I understand that. But what I'm just and look saying at the temperatures like, and things that he was dealing with too. You know the 
the adverse con- conditions and and whatnot. So on March 40th, Haya was severely wounded in his left jaw by an armor-piercing bullet fired by the Red Army. After losing conscious for several days, he awoke on March 13th, 1940, the day peace was officially declared between the two nations, with nearly half his face missing from the gun gunshot. Um, he lived to the age of 96. Wow. And he was buried buried in Finland. Harder than woodpecker lips. Oh yeah, no doubt about it. So that's one. That's one there, and, I, and that's something I want to talk about too. Our our famous snipers throughout history. So we'll talk. Uh, we'll talk about them as we as we go through and talk about the the rifles. Um, but uh, arguably, you know, they're saying that as far as sniper rifles go, this Whitworth rifle. Um, you know, it was presumably one of the first sniper rifles, I guess, made. And it was used in this, was it the Crimean War? And then it was later used in the American Civil War. How many Crimean Wars have there been? There's probably been a bunch. <laughs> they, they seem to have wars pretty frequently. <laughs> it was used in the United Kingdom, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, Confederate States of America, American Civil War, Australian Frontier Wars, and New Zealand Wars. There was 13,400 of those built. It's 49 inches long, had a barrel length of 33 wow. inches. 13,400. That That's barely a production run by today's standards. That's yeah. crazy. So I want to know which one Tom Selleck used and down under in Australia. Oh, you're talking about Quigley down under? The, yeah. He I was using a Sharps, Sharps was brother. A, that was like a 45-110 or something, wasn't it? Yeah. Didn't he say what it was, like 45-90 or 45-110 or something? Yeah, it was a – was it a trapdoor? It was a trapdoor rifle with a exposed hammer. I think I, if I'm doing right, yeah, he had the, it had the two, it's been a while. It's, it had the slack trigger. He just donated it to like a, the NRA museum or something like that. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. So it is Granville Stewart, sharp model, 1874 Creed number one rifle. Oh, it's a Creed more sold in 2020 for $51,750. So what, what? Say that again? This is... Um, Sold in when? This isn't the Quigley down there, but it's one just like what he used. It's some, oh, okay. Some big famous um, um, explorer used these. Granville Stewart. Granville Stewart. He was a and real Western vigilante. Granville Stewart. Let's see if they can tell me what Quigley's was here. Here's the trailer for Quigley down there. That's a great movie, by the way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is a great movie. It's a Western, but it's a Southern. It's Australia. About as southern as you can get. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a southern western. The model eighteen seventy four. I mean, just tell me what I want. I type in Quigley Down Under rifle, and I get all this crap right here. Anyway, Quigley Down Under caliber. Eighteen seventy four sharp rifle. Uberti USA replica rifles. I guess they make a replica. Yeah, Uberti makes everything replica these days. What's that? Um, that firearms database that. Tells you everything about every. Oh, every IMFDB. Movie. Yeah, why is Internet it? Internet Movie Firearms Database. Introducing our new Belly Band holster. Whether you're hitting the gym or running a quick errand, our Belly Band is one of the most comfortable and safest ways to carry your firearm. The center section allows you to carry most common pistols. Left or right handed, this has you covered. 
A hard laminate trigger shield protects the firearm's trigger from unwanted intrusion, giving you ease of mind while carrying every day. Two elastic sleeves give you the flexibility to carry other everyday items, such as spare mats, flashlight, knife, or pepper spray. Two zippered pockets run on both sides, offering the option to carry smaller items, such as money, cards, or keys. Flush fit on your lower back or waist, easily keeping your setup discreet no matter how you choose to carry. Utilizing 3D spacer mesh, these channels allow for exceptional and efficient airflow, giving you maximum comfort and keeping you cool. Carry whenever you want, how you want, with our new belly band holster. Available now. Go to missionfirsttactical.com, use the code LEADHEAD for an exclusive listener-only 20% discount. All right, so I'm going to quit sharing my screen there. And we got listener questions too. We're going to get to our listener questions. That might be, we might go to them sooner than we think since we don't have. Well, do we want to, when do we want to get into the commie stuff, man? We're going to get into it right now. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, it is talk. It's the AK corner. Um, well, obviously, the granddad is, 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 is the, uh, you know, the 9130 sniper variant uh, with the three power scope. And the you, you've you've looked through. I'm, I'm assuming that uh, you you've looked through those uh, reticles, oh, like yeah. the the three line, the big fat three lines with the points. Yeah, like, the jerk. Put the thing. Put, post. Yeah, put put the thing right in the thing, and and uh, and if it's not zero, you just look through it and you turn it to where the impact is. You turn it to where the right. impact is. So we kind of got into the uh, Mosin, it's, it's, so the Mosin kind of leads up into the modern day, uh, well, not modern day, but the the current, the S, yeah, the SVD. I'm yeah. sure that's where you're headed with this, but the Mosin kind of kind of kicked it all off for the the Soviets and and the Europeans there with the uh, well, because they were using a, a serious 30 caliber cartridge and the Mauser, you know, the yeah, the 7.62 by 54. Uh, is a serious cartridge. You know, it, it was basically the, the Russian 30 out six that came before the 30 out six. Um, and, uh, so, you know, and what I, th I think is fantastic is the fact that it's still in active use a hundred years plus later. I think that is great. I don't, um, the only car other cartridge we have right now that's, that's that old is the 50 BMG that we use actively still right now. Yeah. Well, no, I guess the nine mil, but okay. But uh, yeah, so they they moved into the, you know, the the Dragonovs, and I'm not I don't have any physical real world experience with the Dragonovs because I don't have that kind of ducats. I'll I'll leave that one to you. Yeah, the 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 first time I dealt with the the drag the true Dragonov, which to me is the 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 true Russian SVD, um, was when we do our familiarization fires on op four weapon systems and. I've I've owned a Tiger Dragonoff. Uh, I regret selling it, but oh um, man, you, you had a Chicom version, and, and it, I had a, it was a stupid, stupid mistake on my part. But uh, anyways, the you know the thing that I always appreciated about the the Dragonoff was that it was it was like the first military semi-automatic weapon that they wanted to design as a sniper rifle. So they didn't take an M1 Grand and throw a scope on it and call it the M1 Grand D and it's the, the, the M1 Grand Sniper. They, they built this as a 
dedicated semi-automatic military sniper. You know, it's based off the AK-47 or AK platform, and everything about it was the the stock is short. It's non-adjustable. At least it had an adjustable type cheek piece. The magazines were made out of steel. They rusted really fast along with the receivers. They had to be maintained. The optic system, when you look through a U.S. military sniper system and then you get behind a Dragunov, there's absolutely unequivocally no comparison. But the the heritage, the lineage, the where this thing was developed and everything that's been built to this day was derived off of a Dragunov, whether it's a direct impingement system or a gas piston system, the Dragunov was truly the first military designed semi-automatic sniper rifle. So the SVD was designed to serve a squad support role to provide precise long range engagement capabilities to ordinary troops following the Warsaw Pact adoption of the 762 by 39 millimeter cartridge and assault rifles as standard infantry weapon systems. At the time, NATO used battle rifles chambered in the 762 by 51 as standard infantry weapons and had not yet adopted an intermediate cartridge and assault rifle of their own, allowing them to outrange their Warsaw Pact counterparts. The uh, SVD was developed uh, between 1958 and 1963 and selected as the winner of a contest that included three competing groups of designers led by Sergei Simonov, uh, Alexander Konstantin, Tentanov, this is why I need Marco on here, uh, and Yegeny Dragunov. Speaking of, there's Marco. Speaking of that Soviet devil. All right, uh, here's, here, here, here's. Do you guys hear me? Yeah, I hear you fine. Yep. Excellent. So you know Paul, right. Professor Paul. Yes, yes. So uh, our newbie, this is Jared Johnson. Hey, Jaron. Hello, Marco. Nice to meet you. Jared's nice to meet you, eight sir. years in the USMC, uh, and he also owns a knife company now called STA Blades. Anything else you want to add to that, Jared? No, that's pretty much my whole life story right there. So you got it down. No, he was also um, he did some contracting work for ships as a uh, anti pirate crew. Anti piracy. He, he was a bodyguard for Captain Steubing. <laughs> Captain <Yes>. Steubing. <laughs> the love boat. That was for the older folks in the I, audience. I wish. I would have I would have killed for that job. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right. You guys want to have some fun on the Paramount app network. They have all the Love Boat episodes that they ever filmed starting like in 76, 77. That oh. is a the, it's like a freaking time machine. You go back and watch these nineteen seventy seven. You know what I like about watching shows like that is like the the guest celebrities that they would have on. Yes. All the hot yes, people the at guests. the time would Or just the dude working in the background that you recognize that's an A list actor now. Right. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. I love going and back. The and the ones that would this. come on there multiple times, but they would do them like one they would appear in season one. And then they come back in season three as a completely somebody different character. Different, yeah, somebody completely different. Completely different character. And they You're expect you not to, to They're like, notice that. Yeah. They're like, just you yeah. forgot you saw them. Don't don't worry about it. That they're was like, last the, season. The writers are like, ah, they'll never remember. 
I love Eddie that. Hooser. All right, so here's so what we're going to left. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to catch Marco up on where we where we are where we're at. As soon as he gets his toys out of his closet, Marco's bringing the goods out. Well, that's good because Jared's got my PSL. <laughs> you didn't get it back from him? No, he's he's got it over there. And I, I called, I told him, I said, you know, you got yours, I, Jared. I should have that gun. Jared's got uh-huh. his. The the other Jared. Has no, my my son, my, my son Jared has oh, the PSL. Okay. I thought you were t- I thought you were referring to the one right behind me. So I was. Oh like, no, I no, I didn't I didn't see that one there. But yeah, Jared has my PSL. In Salt Lake City right now. I got you. I got you. The one that we were shooting this weekend out there. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. You ready, sorry. Marco? Yes, I am. I'm sorry again. I apologize no, that, to everyone. That's fine. We, well, we've been needing you. So we kind of talked a little yeah. bit about what everybody's definition of what a, what a sniper and what a sniper rifle is. You know, everybody kind of gave their definition on that. What you give yours? Oh, okay. So a sniper is highly skilled designated shooter that would be deployed to um, to complete a certain mission that the regular infantryman cannot do. The concept of a sniper has changed a sniper and what the sniper mission is changed back and forth several times. Kind of evolved? Evolved, yeah. From, uh, uh, let's say, one shot, one kill to many shots, many kills. Um, which is more of a uh, um, more modern uh, warfare application. And um, so obviously one shot, one kill, it's in the way of uh, like a police sniping in the hostage situation where you take a a high, you know, you take a, a target without possibly with minimal collateral damage for which you require an exceptionally accurized rifle. Right. And it usually boils down to one, possibly two shots. Whereas you, as your infantry sniper, which we saw uh, or we didn't see, but we read and know about the things from the uh, people who actually been there and done that from World War II, where the frontline snipers had a dual role as well, uh, which is the, uh, uh, you know, offense and defense. Mm -hmm. And in both cases, especially in defense application, defensive application, the sniper's role was many shots, and thus the weapon should have accommodated that. In In the offensive role, would have been more precise fire, such as taking high-value targets while your unit is being advanced, you know, is being advancing, I guess, on the enemy. And uh, so, therefore, pockets of resistance, crew manned weapons, machine guns, and things like that. So, uh, that would be the, uh, the sniper uh, mission. Now, uh, there was never, and, and so therefore, it's sort of like a, the um, a com block versus the NATO type of applications that would cheat from each other, like, you know, <laughs> see what the other party is doing and then go and change their, uh, uh, their tactics. sniper tactics. Yeah. 
such as like in Vietnam War, uh, the Soviet soldier, uh, a pair, sniper pair team that goes with a scout sniper and, and, and a spotter. And it's a bold gun, precise. Uh, so they went and start developing the bold guns, whereas the the Americans saw the Soviet semi-automatic rifle application in Afghanistan were uh, deployed with the great success. And then uh, in the later days, they tried to bring out the uh, M1As and convert them into, I guess it's an M21s, or to make the 308, you know, AR-10s. The more semi-automatic as they fought insurgency in both in Iraq and uh, Afghanistan. So it basically, I guess, if I had to summarize what I just blubbered on for about five minutes, <laughs> like a famous Russian, uh, you know, the Mrs. Death or whatever, Miss Death, uh, Ludmila Pavlichenko. I'm so glad you speech. said that name instead of me trying to say that one. <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't the most uh, highly produced sniper uh, she uh, i think she had uh, 327 kills uh mr akokov had um, 309 is what it, this says 309 yeah yeah so akokov had uh, 500 and over 500 kills but anyway she had at her disposal two rifles she had a um i guess i should have brought them huh i have them both but anyway svt 40 and uh and uh uh, Mosin again, 9130 PU. So she would go in her hunt in a offensive kind of application. She would go out and hunt the uh, VIP targets uh, with her Mosin again, as more precise rifle that also fired the heavy round, 200 grain bullet. And in the defensive application, uh, you know, set back in the hideout, she would be firing out of uh, SVT-40. And, and most of her kills were actually uh, recorded with the SVT-40 semi-automatic rifle. So uh, two different philosophies, and somehow they merge, or somehow they kind of marry each other in the, in the modern warfare. But uh, that's pretty much it. There's no such thing in like a Soviet military where it was a DMR person. Because Sniper was um, a part of the unit, deployed within the unit, if, uh, if there's something that needs to be uh, reached out and touched by someone, that would be that guy. So he would be, apart from his regular Sniper duty, he would be also a gunfighter as a, as a DMR, which obviously the... Uh, more, I mean, uh, SVD Dragunov rifle would allow them to do so. Right, but the SVD came along after, way after the Mosin. Well, know? it came in 1963, yes. Right, 1960. And the Mosin was developed in the, the late 1800s, early 1900s. Well, the Mosin-Nagant Mosin uh, rifle was adopted by Tsarist Russia, back in what it suggests, right? Uh, it's a 9130, right? In 1891, with the adoption of a new uh, uh, cartridge as well, mm -hmm. which is the a 76 Super 54. It's got to be the longest-lived cartridge ever <laughs> produced because it's still at the battlefield today. Right. Yeah, still and using the new, it today. new types of weapons have produced to fire that particular cartridge. And um, 
it's uh, it, you know it's dilapidated in its design, but it's uh, with the rim and stuff. But they were made they they were able to make the guns that function with it uh, flawlessly, such as PKM machine gun, for example, right? But um, yeah, good round. I and, love that cartridge. Me too. I'm a geek for that cartridge. People <laughs> and and. <laughs> Ten years ago, when they were giving it away, I was like, "Yes, give me more. I'll I'll take more of that." That's right. We we train our OTC, and uh, we uh, do uh, the standard weapons like anything from uh, M203 grenade launchers to um, the uh, Madus, right, mounted on the Humvee, mm-hmm. and anything in between from Soul, M60, M240, of course, M force and whatnot and then we have not a section with non-standard weapons which is uh we have everything from uh uh the bison vitesse i'm sorry nine millimeter ak to uh pkm and uh back in the day when we first started that ammo was like i mean you can buy it i don't know what was like 20 cents around or something <laughs> yeah now it was like, cheap it was like 15 to 20 cents a shot yeah, now I kind of like, ugh. but Army, does, although we're in the Army schedule, but they don't give us the ammo. And of course, they don't have non-standard ammo anyway. So we have to provide it for free, of course, for them. And, uh, uh, you, know, it, you know, I buy it as much as I can is what I'm saying. And it hurts every time I reach out for the credit card. <laughs> you should be getting a deal but on yeah, that now you're cards. importing ammo. What's that? Oh yeah. Well, I'm doing just a seven six two by thirty nine. Broaden your horizons. Come on, Marco. Uh, five four five common in September. Twelve containers a year. One oh. and a half million per container. Yeah. Yeah, I've been getting oh. flooded with emails. Um, people trying to get in touch with you. Uh, there's like, where's Marco's website where I can get in touch with him on this? <sighs> you know, uh, quite honestly, I'm. We've been Marco doesn't right have now. a website. <laughs> Do we? Are we uh, live right now? Yeah, we're live right now. I mean, we're not live, but we're recording, yeah. Right, so... Um, don't tell secrets. Yeah, don't tell secrets. Yeah, tell us off air. Yeah, basically, I don't like to be famous. Let's put it that way. Uh, um, I also don't like to take credit for anything. And um, unless I'm involved, of course, and I'm doing if you're gonna it, sell, If you're going to sell stuff, you need to do that. Um, same thing no, with You want to sell books. Suppressors, books, ammo... I mean, you're teasing everybody all this stuff you've got going on, but yet nobody knows where to get it. Come on, Marco. I suppose I can. If somebody can get a, if if they want to get a hold of me, why don't they contact you, and then you can give them my email address. I can, do, and I know a good company, Marco, that can help you with a website. So <laughs> I'll hook you up. I'll do an introduction. I'll introduce okay. you. Okay. Attention, business owners. Are you ready to take your marketing game to the next level? Look no further than Black Tie Digital Marketing, the firearm-friendly, full-service agency that delivers results. We've worked with industry giants like Keltec, Spikes Tactical, and Armalite, and we even designed the kick-ass new logo at Talkin' Lead. At Black Tie, we blend creativity and data-driven strategies to ensure your message hits the mark every time. From high-end custom websites, graphic design, to inbound marketing campaigns, and everything in between, we've got you covered. Your success is our priority. Join the ranks of the industry's top players and give your business the boost it deserves. Experience the power of Black Tie today. Visit blacktiedigital.com or call 1-800-316-8030 to schedule your free consultation. 
That's Black Tie Digital Marketing, where firepower meets marketing power. Black Tie Digital Marketing is a proud sponsor of the Talking Lead Podcast and the Leadhead Brigade. So, so I guess what you know, natural progression. Uh, we're not going to go like all the way back to the beginning of of sniper rifles, but we did touch on the one that is arguably you know what's being considered the very first sniper rifle. Marco, we talked about is the Whitworth rifle. It was a, a percussion muzzle loading rifle. You familiar familiar with it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we touched on that a little bit. Um, and then Paul was getting antsy and he wanted to go ahead and get into the com block stuff. So the Mosin, well, we, you know, we kind of talked about the Mosin a little bit there. Um, as far as one of the earlier. Well, you, you can't go into com block, uh, uh, sniper rifles fully without going through your history of the sniping and, uh, sniper application and uh, different philosophies behind uh, the sniping and stuff. And, and right. uh, you know, Soviets, we like to think that here in the U.S., we like the ahead of the entire planet and everything we do. And we don't like to recognize that if some other country, be it uh, Burkina Faso or, or whatever, or Russia, uh, actually did something good and, and ahead of uh, America. So the... In, uh, in sniping Russia during World War II. Also, I think we discussed that before the subject when when we start talking about all this fascination with, like, the Nazi weapons. Yeah, right? yeah, like, all the uh, German oh, stuff. Oh, the freaking Mausers, the greatest freaking bolt gun. Well, I would argue that the Lee Infield was probably a better bolt gun absolutely. by far, right? So, yeah, and, uh, yeah. It, it's a smoother action. It's a 10 freaking round detachable, detachable magazine, right? although sometimes it didn't fit, but you could fiddle with it. And then, uh, and also strip load, uh, stripper clip loadable. And uh, so we talk about pistols and stuff. Uh, yeah, a Luger, you know, a Luger. There's a reason why they stopped making them and they just went into or just give them the little bit of uh, contracts to make those, but switched heavily towards the P-38 uh, Walters, which by far was a better gun. And then the best gun wasn't even German. It was, it was Belgian uh, uh, high power. And then, and then of course, we're talking about 1911, which had unbelievable uh, long service life. And it still is one of the, uh, it's sort of like a, a measurement to go by when you talk about semi-automatic pistols. So again, Germany goes right by. Yeah. Then semi-automatic guns. You know, it came up with uh, uh, Gewehr 41 piece of shit that weighs like a freaking, uh, like a freaking M240. You know, crew. You needed two people to carry that freaking thing. And then of course they tried to copy the the SVT 40 with their uh, G43 gun, which is looked like some Pakistani uh, hyper pass gunsmith made it. <laughs> You know, so you start talking about it like best tank. Oh, Tiger, Tiger. Tigers didn't show up until 1943. And then even then there were Royal, royal Tigers. T- uh, tigers, I don't know, 17, 18, they made, they couldn't even make it to the front lines. They broke down. Right? The tanks. So, yeah. yeah. And, then, and then so on and so on and so on and so on. Maybe U-boats, right? U-boats maybe for U-boats. them. But, yeah. But you don't fight U-boats in the uh, Kursk Bulge with U-boats, you know. <laughs> you don't go down, uh, you don't sail down the Volga River with the U-boats. But, 
you know, the USP 59 uh, Mustang or whatever was by far better than any any of them, Fucky Wolves and Mr. Schmitz all put together. And so and so and so this myth that the Germans have like the best everything. And you would think that, oh, they probably because Carl Zeiss is German and they probably had the best freaking sniper rifle. Well, guess what? They didn't. Those weren't even special rifles. They just thought that ammunition and the regular K98 Mauser was good enough for sniping. And then they put some freaking scope on it, right? Which is like, if I'm not mistaken, the very first one was one and a half power. Yeah, where they, they weren't very powerful. The rear sight, like a scout type scope. And then they put some three power scope that didn't have adjustment. Didn't have a windage adjustment. It just had elevation. And so, where's here's like a poor uh, Russian guys that just stop plowing the field, goes and makes a freaking PU scope, but before that PE scope, with two turret adjustments, with the BDC built into it for a specific gun, with a great success. And it's small, and it could be mounted anywhere. And all of a sudden, they come out not with one, but two legitimate sniper rifles that they employed with um, great success during World War II. So hands down, if you take all the sniper rifles, that side-mounted freaking Japanese Arisaka that you couldn't uh, adjust at all, and it had to be done by in the factory, um, American effort, yeah... Springfield 1903 is excellent rifle. It's a great rifle. And uh, but um, the optics again when was not there present, so you didn't have the the windage adjustment. And I believe on some of the scopes the uh, uh, elevation adjustment was outside. You know, outer. It's not a built-in into radical. So, which changes the parallax and all kind of shit. So, uh, Brits, yeah, behind, great gun, terrible scope. And the same goes for uh, the Germans saying, oh, it's good enough. We just learned, I guess, how to shoot this good enough gun. And, uh, you know, you can throw rotten apples and tomatoes at me, but I'm just going to go ahead and say that war, during World War II, Soviets had the best sniping solution with in both their... semi-automatic and the bolt gun. Although with the dragon off? The guns... No, the no. to SVT Tokarev. The the rifle. SVT's Tokarev. And initially, Tokarevs were all going going to be sort of like a German approach, right? With all the rifles could be sniper rifles, but then they quickly found out that the Tokarev. Uh, in mass, shoots like a, well, you know, it doesn't shoot like blunderbuss, but uh, it wasn't a, a two even MOA rifle if you didn't take a certain, uh, didn't pay certain attention to it. Meaning, like uh, with the uh, uh, and Nagans, once they shot the initial uh, gun or barrels, tested the barrels, all the best barrels were set aside and sent to a specific, specific shop, which each rifle was assembled by hand and test it and you got the accuracy out of those pu snipers whereas in the they started doing that with tokarev and then they took a couple operations out of the machining 
machining those grooves on the receiver and the little um, notch in the top of the receiver and they just issue them as the infantry rifles but the ones with the um, how you can tell a talker if it was a sniper rifle or not it uh, had a serial number engraved on the on the bolt because during it when they would bring them in for service they can into swap the they need to keep that gun together as whole with matching everything and then of course uh, um, uh, obviously the grooves and stuff so that's and that was your sniper rifle and how they went in went in and they uh, deployed them with the great success with the legitimate uh, multiple kills during the engagements uh, now the beauty of semi-automatic rifle including and talker uh, to be precise was the fact that a it was a 10 round detachable magazine that you could care you know you could uh, um, uh, carry with you numerous of those magazines and the pouches and stuff or whatever so it would be in case let's say your position was uncovered and you were being under assault you could defend yourself with semi-automatic rifle by uh, you know removing the scope which was pretty fast you can pull the key out of it and then it would slide right out and it becomes regular infantry rifle capable rifle and uh, also because of the PU scope you could still uh, use the stripper clips to reload uh, your magazines through the top so uh, definitely in that department, but it, as far as accuracy is concerned, obviously it was lacking uh, mm. uh, compared to most in the game. And when was this put into service? Uh, in 1940. The previous version of it was the SVT-38 was uh, um, just designed as, yeah, as an uh, uh, infantry rifle with the sniping capability. At the time, in the late 30s, the Russian military was going to rearmament, and it was um, the idea was to give an infantry squad a more firepower by equipping it with semi-automatic rifles. Yeah. And uh, the rearmament was still going on when uh, World War II started. And although, if you look at the black and white pictures, and everybody's saying like, Oh, the, the main gun was Mosin again. And uh, if you look at the pictures, uh, especially assault, like in uh, uh, assault type operations with the Russian counteroffensive and stuff, stuff, all of the Marines, right, the naval infantry, all of them were armed with the same, uh, with the Tokarev. Tokarev was one of the ma main, uh, SVT was one of the main battle rifles. It just, they made so many of them that in 1944 they stopped making them because they didn't need it. They were switching to, uh, they knew that in about a year they're going to come up with uh, intermediate cartridge guns. Uh, they uh, had enough of them in the hands of uh, uh, infantry already. Uh, they were heavily, because they now were on offensive and were taking the cities and clearing the buildings. They needed more of a submachine guns like PPSHs and PPSs and whatnot. And the most in the gun they could put uh, basically um, 
a farm field with a few machines in it and the tents, and they can start production on them. Uh, and they were, uh, you know, making a good number of those things. And um, so they stopped making them in 1944, uh, the SVTs. But that rotten reputation uh, for um, uh, that, that somehow floating around in interwebs is completely and utterly undeserving. And whoever came up with that nonsense, is, I curse his eyes and may he, may he die of gunnery and rotten hell. <laughs> Who's that? Because <laughs> whoever came up with the, you know, oh, the, the Russian soldiers would drop their SVTs and pick up Mosin Nagan. Hmm. If you drop your gun that was issued and written into you like a Red Army soldier card, you'll be probably not executed, but definitely put put in the panel, uh, you know, uh, pen, what they call penance uh, battalion. Digging ditches. You know, you'll be, you know, punished. Yeah. Big time. So nobody dropped their freaking gun and then picked up something else. Also, Russians are good given their guns and nicknames. You know, like uh, AK Su, Suchka, or Polly, Sally. You know, <laughs> in in this SVT, it sounded like, a, in Russian, it's pronounced SVT. It sounded like a girl's name, Sveta, Svetlana, right? Yeah. Sveta. So they call it Sveto, Svetochka, right? Like a endearing term. If the gun was so screwed up that everybody hated it, uh, then uh, uh, why would they call it that endearing name? You know what I mean? Another thing is like... Uh, what you call yours, like, Marco? Oh, oh, Russian Ivan could only know how to milk a freaking pig or something. And it, it was so dumb, it couldn't, it couldn't freaking master the, the, the intelligence to... to Comprehend freaking talker rifle. Yeah. Now, do either uh, of you, Paul or or Jared, do you have any uh, experience with the uh, SVT forty, the talker of? I, I have a I have a buddy that recently bought one, uh, and I was extremely jealous that he did. I'm still waiting to go shoot it, but uh, I, I think it's. So you got access cool. to one, so that's cool. It, when you go shoot it, right? Uh, make sure you bring a lot of ammo because that's the smoothest, easiest gun to shoot that does not kick like a freaking mule and you shoot all day. Really yeah. smooth shooting gun. I thought that of the Dragon, of the SVD, to be honest. I thought it was, I think the SVD is a very smooth shooting rifle. Granted, but SVD is smoother. Yeah, if it works right. So you got to fiddle with the gas gas system. Yeah. So from the the SVT forty. Well, hang on. Let me. Okay. I'm not done with that yet. Okay. Because it has it has an implication as to how the guns were developed afterwards. Gotcha. And uh, and it's which way the semi-automatic guns would go, like AK way or something else way, right? Yeah. So SVT-40, if you look at it, and I don't know if you guys had a chance to kind of like just look at it and take it apart. It's a short stroke, you know, short piston type gas system. And uh, if you, it takes no time to disassemble it. Um, there's no, I mean, literally nothing to master on that gun. You take your handguards off, 
and there it is. Your uh, your gas system, your push rod, your reverse. Uh, the 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 gas system is reversed, so the actual piston is fixed, and the cylinder goes <laughs> goes around it. I'm sorry to show you this, but you know what I mean. So it goes like this, instead uh, around the fixed piston, as opposed to usually the fixed uh, a gas chamber, and then the piston goes in and out. Sure. But by design and layout, this gun was about 20 years ahead of its time. Okay. So uh, the Ivan who was just milking uh, a pig or goat or whatever, you got to realize 1930s Soviet Union went through this thing called industrialization. So every little village had to have a freaking tractor and what they called a mechanized station. People trained people who could work on farm equipment. A lot of young people. They also had this thing called Dosayaf and Asiveahim. That's a abbreviation of a voluntary society for uh, helpers to the army, uh, navy, and uh, air force. A lot of young people, uh, students and, and uh, high school students, sign up for it, yeah. where they learn how to shoot, jump out of the airplane with the parachutes, um, do the medical thing, and all this like uh, combat stuff for young people. Yeah, so kind of so like the, uh, what's those American, what do we have in our schools? The uh, They used to have the... Junior ROTC? Yeah, maybe? junior ROTC, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> And uh, or, uh, you know, which would be a good parallel is Appleseed Project. Appleseed Project. OK. Yeah. You know, they teach them basic marksmanship yeah. together with the They're not jumping out of planes in that. But yeah. Little, no, but, you know, <laughs> the shoot. And then when we talk about guns, shooting mostly, is, you know. But in, in any case, so majority of the Ivans who were milking the pigs in the fields that were pretty educated, you know. And if you compare the gun to, uh, let's say, M1 Garand that everybody just absolutely loves, mm -hmm. right? I mean, it may be not even half less complicated. It's probably more like 70% less complicated yeah, and easier to uh, maintain and operate. And Which so, some of those are still in service today. They're still using what, the SVTs. Yeah. Uh, seriously doubt it. But um, according to Wikipedia, they are. <laughs> they are. Well, well of course, Wikipedia is never wrong, right? All of them, one of them is in service with me. That's for sure. There you go. <laughs> so... Anyway, so uh, um, then we go move on. So past the World War II, huge body of knowledge uh, using a sniper, a sniper rifle, you know, snipe, snipers in the combat application. Obviously, the Soviets look at it and saying they learned the lessons and they say, yeah, you know, Mosin Nagan is great, but. If we face face to face in battlefield, we need something that shoots every time you pull a trigger. And they start developing uh, another semi-automatic rifle. But they approached it again uh, fundamentally, just like Russians always do. Like they they call it the shooting complex, 
which they came up, which included the ammo, a rifle, and the optic. All three things were, be, were, were developed together. And the guy that they tap, tapped into was Evgeny Dragunov, who, who was specializing on making a sporting, like a competition rifles at the time. And uh, the although now Olympic is boiled down to um, uh, air uh, air rifles and 22s and mm-hmm. the shotguns, you know the the trap and skit and stuff. Um, back then, even biathlon in the Winter Olympics was actually uh, com- they, the athletes competed with the combat rifles, like a full caliber rifles. And so the Evgeny Dragunov uh, was designing those competition uh, guns, which were winning the world championships and so on and so on. And they tapped into them for development of this gun. And uh, lo and behold, in uh, 1963, the U.S. military adopts uh, SVT-63, Wait a minute, let me show you your uh, screen. I've got it on my screen. All right, go ahead. So what are you showing Dragon us? Dragon Sniper. Right? Okay, there it is. So uh, NPZ, uh, not NPZ, I'm sorry, the um, Novosibirsk uh, gauge manufacturing plant uh, makes the scope. And... Uh, uh, a team of uh, ammo designers developed the 7N1 sniper round based on the um, on the uh, regular uh, light um, bullet light round 762x54R cartridge. I also have that behind me in that closet. I have I have crates of it, and the only way you can tell which one is which. Because the packaging would have this, you know, typical com block packaging, and it would say sniper, 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 sniper. Yeah. And then the, the tin itself would have a word sniper scan, right? And then the crate itself would have a word sniper scan. But the rifle, and um, I'm going to show you something. This is a 10 round uh, group that I was shooting. I was testing the Elcon, which, by the way, is on this rifle. Elcon uh, 1 to 3 to 9, uh, swappable. It's a great alternative to the, um, to the ComBlock optics. This thing is, this particular uh, one has got the BDC for 7.62, which is the 308 round, which, you know, basically would match out to about 400 to 600, somewhere in there. The, the deviation would be minute, but it's a nine power. It's quickly swappable without rotating anything, right? And then it's um, the radical is semi-transparent, so you can place that radical over a target and still see a target, so it's not blocking. Yeah. So I'm going to show you the group I shot with this uh, particular setup right here with seven and one. To do that today, that's why you were late getting on the show. You're shooting these. <laughs> This group. Okay, let, let's pretend that's what it was. <laughs> okay. And that's why I legitimately was late. But sure. Not the trying to drain shit water, but, you know. We'll make it a pleasant lateness. <laughs> okay. 
hold on, hold on. Are you uh, are you poking holes in a paper right now, making your yes, groups? right now I'm just making sure that it looks good. <laughs> so anyway, uh, well, maybe I should keep on talking while I'm doing it. So anyway, and uh, it came out. So whenever people say like. I guess I need to back up a little bit. So the United States government for years had a standing order with the manufacturers here in the United States to manufacture and reverse engineer certain non-standard weapons, which would include AKM, AK-74, RPK, RPK-74, PKM, Deshka, uh, 50 caliber machine gun, and SVD. And uh, the manufacturers here, like Voltor, for example, obviously the AKM wasn't a problem. I mean, there's several US made AKMs. Uh, 74 was uh, a little bit more, a uh, uh, little bit more, I guess, they didn't, they didn't quite grasp that one. And nobody, embarked on SVD and you would think like there's so many SVDs just go ahead and reverse engineer it right but the problem is the SVD design goes to a molecular level on uh, uh, both the barrel and the receiver to its metallurgy the alloys the certain way so to take and I will once we start talking about uh, the PSLs and the M76s I will um, man I will uh, well, let's you know, fast. Let's let's, let's speed up our. I just want to show you this right here. <laughs> this says Mother Russia. Okay. <laughs> no, that's not that's not the picture I was going to show. But nice anyway. boobs. <laughs> was it? It's, was that it's uh, Putin's power boobs? Provider. Putin, yeah. Putin and his boobs. Our provider, it says. Nice. So come on. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Here's the picture. So the first three is underneath is I was sighting it in. So when I installed it, I used the bulk ammo to sight it in. Once I made the correction, I put the 7N1 sniper round. And that circle right there is one inch. At what distance? At 100 meters. 100 meters? That's 10 rounds in there. Tilted a little bit. You're, you're getting a reflection. Before, but... yeah, yeah, it was good. Where you had it was good back. Oh, I know what happened. My phone. We saw it. Oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great grid. And as I had 100 meters, how many shots is that? Ten, Ten of them in there. The entire magazine. Ten shots. Nice. Good shoot. So it's not, and I kept on saying like in different podcasts, right? I was saying that in many cases when people talk about accurate, not accurate, this rifle is accurate, this, this optic is not good and rifle, the setup is usually has a, a, a more potential than uh, it would outshoot a shooter. Yeah, so you use the see, L-CAN on that group? That that was the optic Yeah, that's using? the L-CAN. The yeah. L-CAN. I, I did it for an article for uh, Modern Optics for uh, the Comblock Snipers. Yeah. And uh, I could I did it again uh, a couple weeks after this because I had to reshoot the whole thing. And, and uh, so I had um, Shepard uh, one to nine, and I had uh, Hilux one to nine. I had Leopold uh, one and a half to nine. Um, 
and I could not match that performance. I mean, the same performance of that optic. I mean, I came pretty close. It was pretty decent. Yeah. Better than the standard. Uh, um, Paul, you got pictures of any of your I groups? Gotta, I got to mention this. It's, with me shooting, that is, because they put they're probably somebody who has uh, got the PSO-1 uh, scope that is, you know, professional with it and shoots much better than me. But anyway... So well, if you put the time up, put the time in on it, you're going to get good at it, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And then I always say that the difference between good and uh, average shooter is the number of uh, trigger put pulls. Yeah, it's only. This. But anyway, so the Soviets won that round, and right off the gate, they hit on a nice, nice rifle. And I remember first time seeing it in the basic training, which I performed somewhat uh, decent at uh, with the AK-74. The at a firing line, and I was kind of selected to go and try it out. <laughs> so I looked through the scope for the first time. And if you've seen the PSL, the PSO scope, right, that faint radical, I couldn't find it. <laughs> so it took a sergeant kick me in the, my steel pot like a couple times when I finally focused and found the thing. And it's basically uh, kind of, I started, I started my service with that as a sniper. And training, the PSO so scope anyway, on the so, on the seventy four. What's that? You, the PSO scope on a seventy four. No, 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 no. I uh, uh, no, I, you know, they bring the greenhorns to a, a rifle range for the first time, and you fire like three single shots that they're supposed to score for you, and then they and then you fire. They give you six rounds, and you're supposed to do three short bursts at the, you know, targets from 200 to 400 yards, you know, machine gun nest and the full, full size silhouette. Right. So, uh, I shot 27 out of possible 30 with the three round shots and then, uh, uh single shots. And then I knocked, I did the three, um, bursts and knocked down three targets. And because I did that out of my, I guess, training platoon, the captain behind me said that, uh, okay, great, you know, go try, go try something else. When I saw it, I thought it was the sexiest thing ever. You know, I mean, long barrel with that muzzle device. I mean, look at this thing. And that scope right there is, double Russian scope is not, not a, it's a commercial it's not a PSO, scope. Yeah. Right. But, um, so, I thought it was, yeah, look at that radical. It's awesome. <laughs> it's basically the granddad of all the radicals that we uh, we now have. And, on and the there's, so much, there's so much technology in that radical. It's yes, crazy. there is. And if you master it, it'd be, you know, unstoppable in a way. But it's, uh, yeah, so actually I have this SVDS right here. Oh, Which is a full, full, this is a holy grail, I guess, of all the collectors and stuff. I mean, there might be six of them in the country. This is the one that actually with the folding stock. Uh, the current issue with the VDV, with the Airborne. And, um, and it does have a PSO-1 on it. Let's see that. Gun porn. Very nice. And how'd you acquire that? Luck? Well, it took me about seven years. 
about seven years, a lot of horse trading. All kinds of shit. A lot of pig milking. milking. <laughs> yeah, a lot of pig milking. <laughs> but, uh, so That's anyway, beautiful, man. That's nice. Is that the one you were I, shooting? That's not the one you were shooting. No, I, shoot, I shot the full length. I could not repeat the same result with the short one. Although, if, if I would put PSOs on both of them and use the same ammo, they, all, they shoot identical. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure given time uh, behind a trigger and a smaller gun, I could probably come close. But it would take me longer to try it and stuff and yeah. kind of get used to it. So anyway. Wait, Paul's got some experience with uh, SVDs, right? Paul? Me? Yeah, you got some. No, experience. I don't have. I don't have any experience with that. Oh yeah, you were saying you didn't have any experience uh, with it. That's right. No, I, I the the closest I ever got was back in the early '90s. I shot the Chinese version. A buddy of mine had one, and and that just goes to my experience with that was I shot it, and it went bang. Good point you brought up. Let's uh, let's talk about the so-called Chinese. Chinese version. All right, so we know Chinese copied a lot of shit, right? Some, some of it was licensed, like, uh, let's say, early uh, SKSs, right? And uh, AK-47 Type 3s, you know, we know them as a Polytech legend and stuff. And we also know that they copied the uh, M1A, right, the M14. We know that they copied a bunch of other shit. Now, they did pretty close... With the, they never got the license. By that time, they already, uh, uh, you know, um, sort of like, a, you know, dissing the Soviets and Soviets dissing them because they wouldn't give them the hydrogen bomb that Mao wanted. And uh, so the Soviets said, well, F you, we're not going to sell you any more licenses and stuff. And the Chinese came up with their own version of the AKM, right? Mm-hmm. So Type 79. Which they couldn't swap. The, the parts were not interchangeable, right? Now, all of you gun professionals, name a single Chinese gun that used the birch furniture, laminate furniture. Single one. SKS, anything. They used laminate furniture? Yeah, like the Soviet AKMs, for example. I don't know. None. You know why? Because birch does not grow down there in the quantities like it grows in Russia. And they don't possess the laminate technology, high pressure that the Russians have. Now, what so-called Russian uh, Chinese SVD had on it? For furniture? Yeah. Uh, I would assume they had some sort of wood. Laminate birch wood. Laminate birch wood. So when I was talking to Mr. Gardetsky in the Izmash in 2001, I specifically asked him, where did Chinese get the, those guns? Oh, another thing. I challenge anyone to uh, look at their, what they called, NMDs or something, HN whatever the designation, 86, it was. Find where it says made in China. It just says Narinko in some of them. Don't even say China. 
and then it says Narinko and sometimes says China. And if you look at it where they did it, it's in the, that milled um, divot, and you could see where the shiny enamel has been covered by mate, you know, mate. Uh, made in China? No, it doesn't say made in China. It's matte, um, a matte finish. Non-shiny uh, black paint. Yeah, like this. Actually, on the other side, if you look at the, if you can find that on the other side. Let's see. see But I went, I went further. And if you look at the, if you look at your um, SVD, there would be all these little stamps, like quality stamps as it passed through the stages of manufacturing. Right there. Uh, See if you can enlarge it. But anyway, in that divot right there under a bolt, on the receiver, you would say either Narinko and nothing else, or it would say Narinko, China. It would not say uh, made in in China. So then you go to, uh, so as the gun progresses through, different stages of assembly and components manufacturing there there would be a quality control that would stamp every component right so there's all kinds of russian letters on every chinese gun everywhere and every and every component like k's and p's and things like that so you know you're getting a russian one it is a russian gun yeah the only license Part that a nut gun that they gave it to Chinese as a license it was a Novosibirsk optics plant that sold them a license to manufacture their own scopes. Mm. And even then, they made them so identical to a Russian except the ocular um, lens, you know. And so, anyway, so when I was talking to Mr. Gardetsky about the uh, I said, where did the Chinese SVDs come up from? So, and he kind of laughed and he says, look, we have the three stage. We, he says, it's impossible to, to copy as, uh, uh, SVD. It's impossible, just you can't. Unless you go into the mythological part of it and what it has to do with the barrel dynamics. This gun does not string. Okay. So you, your number 200 round will impact at the same spot as your number two round impacted. Okay. So we'll, we'll revisit that later when we talk about the Comblock snipers. Um, so who did they give license to, to, to make So it? in 1985, well, actually when, uh, uh, Din Xiaoping, I guess, came in into power, they start to, talk and become fuzzy again towards each other to China and the China they wanted their own gun and uh, uh, Russia at that time was not in a very good financial state so they said okay fine and the deal was the three-stage deal where Russia would sell them so many guns that Chinese would buy then that stage two would be the Russians all set up what they call a, a, a screwdriver assembly out of the Russian components Meanwhile, the actual full production plant will be, be being built. And then the third stage is they, they hand over the entire technological package and documentation package to Chinese to produce their own. Yeah. 
And that happened in the early to mid-80s, and then we know that in 1985, China decided to go their own way. Right. So all they did was a bunch of assembled rifles, I mean, fully finished sterilized rifles, and then a bunch of parts in preparation for stage two. And that's where the 308s come in. That Marinko being a North China import company, mm-hmm. thought it would have a greater um, success commercially if that guy was if that gun was sold in the United States for in 308 round because it was widely used uh, ammunition at the time. Yeah, NATO. So, but the majority of the components in that gun, other than uh, the bolt, the barrel were actually Russian components. And then uh, those uh, uh, Chinese SVDs were uh, Chinese as I am. And I did my DNA, I did the 23 in me. There's no Chinese in me. There's no Chinese in you? No. Uh. I'm trying to get out. <laughs> so, so anyway, so uh, continue on. Uh, so Russia at the same time adopted the uh, the um, not the squad but platoon structure for use of a sniper in the platoon. It was one sniper in the platoon in the fire um, fire support role. Um, and then they went in, in the, into Afghanistan, right? And in 1979 on Christmas. And this was first time that the SVD was being used in, in uh, all-out combat. And they quickly realized that one guy per uh, infantry squad was not enough. One and designated a, marksman? What's that? One designated marksman wasn't enough? That it's not designated. It's a sniper with the sniper uh, missions. So they were snipers by this time. didn't have a designated marksman. Because every every... Uh, infantry soldier was supposed to shoot the rifle straight, but right. if it was out of the range, and it was uh, or it was uh, something that is um, a machine gun nest or something or a pocket of resistance, then they would have a sniper come out and an HVT and take care of it. Yeah. So, uh, uh, but let's reverse it before Afghanistan. So. Warsaw Pact, uh, the countries that, uh, Eastern Bloc countries that went into, uh, you know, uh, made up the um, uh, Warsaw Pact. Uh, obviously, the the main dick was the USSR and that thing. So whatever the USSR say, the Warsaw Pact had to do. But also, uh, USSR did not want to just Here's the guns feel, you know, they wanted to develop their defense uh, industries in those countries like uh, Romania, Poland, you know, Hungary, East Germany, Poland, Czechoslovakia, Hungary. Bulgaria, Albania. Correct. And some of them had, uh, uh, some of them had uh, established gun manufacturing, including the AKs and whatever other SV, I mean, uh, SKSs pistols and whatnot. Yeah. And so the Romanians decided to produce their own PSL, right, which stands for Pushka Luneta Semi-Automatic or something like that, which means uh, 
the rifle, scoped rifle, semi-automatic. And they came up with the PSL. Which is now what you have, Jared? You got the PSL there? Right behind you, Jared. Yes. Maybe a very similar in appearance to uh, SVD Dragonal. Uh, and, and, of course, uh, many people in the U.S. call it a Dragonal, just on the, on the, basically because the stock looks like one. Yeah. But it's not. Okay, and that's what, what brings us to today's topic is the AK snipers. So this is... Uh, what do you mean? We're just now getting to our topic? Yeah. Well, you know... I'm, Two hours I'm in. I hope just... I'm not boring, boring everybody. Well, I'll, I will I'm... ask you to do this because of time. Uh, we do kind of need to speed it up a little bit. Okay. All right, so... You ain't going Russians, nowhere, Paul. They Shut were up. Not, they, they were uh, not, I, I got to get going. No, you don't. I, I, I got to get going. Use up your time, too? Did you want to say something? I'll shut up. Well, actually, I, I, I was waiting for you to come in because um, our, our, our our buddy, he's not, not your buddy, but he's Marty and my buddy, Nicholas Orr, just released a new book today. It's called The oh. uh, Pipe Hitter's Guide to Small Arms. And in here, under the chapter on AKs, it says uh, those with a sincere hunger for AK history and knowledge should consider the book. AK-47, Survival and Evolution of the World's Most Prolific Gun, written by Marco Vorobiev. 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 Yeah. Vorobiev. Uh, Mr. Vorobiev is a former Soviet special soldier, a talented gun maker, and a noted expert on all things AK. So that, that plug is in the in the, this new book that was just I, released today. I really appreciate it, and I hope to meet him sometime to thank him personally for this. Well, there you go. So I'm telling I you, Marco, you, know, you are a rock star. Is it, is it, what is it available, Paul? Uh, it's on Amazon right now. Uh, it, it, it dropped today. Uh, it dropped today. So it's called The Pipe Pitter's Guide to Small Arms and Weapons. Nicholas Orr, uh, right? Yep, Nicholas Orr. It's, it's, it's the fourth book in the Pipe Pitter series. In the two, so, two R's and Orr? Two, yep, two O-R-R. R-R. Yeah. So I, I got to go, go take care of the animals. Uh, but uh, thank you very much for having me on. I All right, Paul. Appreciate, appreciate you being on. It's, it's been a slice of heaven. Good to be here. As always. <laughs> I apologize for talking so much. No, yes. you're good. I'm, I'm, I, you're good. I appreciate it. It's all gold. I'll see you next time. See you next time. Hey, Paul. So, yes. Okay, so... So, we'll... So we touched... Maybe not so much details. Let's just kind of... All right. So, yeah. the biggest difference between... Although the rifles uh, um, the similar in appearance, but the biggest difference is one is the AK sniper based on AK. Maybe Jared wants to talk about it because he's got more experience. Well, I have experience with it, but he's got the rifle. Uh, the P- the PSL, I, I totally agree. By calling it a dragon off is disrespectful, um, in my opinion. I think the PSL has many many highlights to it. Um, it's affordable, it's available, but it's nothing like a dragon off when it's compared side by side, in my opinion. And it's also it shoots really well. It eats just about yeah. it, it. It inherited that. AK reliability and it eats just about everything that you feed through it. Of course, there was a rumor yeah. back then that oh, you don't shoot the heavy rounds through it. Bullshit! I I shot a bunch onto mine, 
nothing happened, nothing split or exploded or anything. That thing handled uh, um, the heavy rounds. I shot, I think it's 200 grain extra rounds out from it. So it worked pretty good. So it's a, it's a capable gun in its own right that deserves to be treated as its own. It, to me, it's a, it's a civilian sporting rifle more than it is a military rifle. It has a muzzle break instead of a flash hider. It has the, the taller handguard, whereas the SVD has the, the slimmer street. Everything about the Dragunov is very streamlined and not a lot of oddball parts hanging off the side and, and things like that. And, of course, we need to mention the operating system, right? <laughs> not the I, iOS or Windows, but I'm talking about the gas system. <laughs> uh, it's a, lo a long-stroke piston uh, system. Right which got like this uh, regular uh, uh, bolt carrier um, assembly that is right out of AK and stuff and uh, and the, the bolt and so on and so on. Uh, so that it's not, um, even though some people say all the uh, similar in appearance, but it's two different yeah. guns and the coding, the coding on the Dragunov is far superior to the coding on the bolt. The, the, the coating on the bolt of the SVD is far superior to the coating uh, on the innards of the PSL. Mm. So the other representative of the AK sniper group would be um, uh, M76. Now, yes. M76 is interesting in its um, existence, I guess, it's, it's in, a, in a appearance. Because Soviets never sold any license to Yugoslavians except PKM. So uh, the uh, is to have right, and uh, so and that was later because um, there was actually although Yugoslavia was um, socialist uh, country, but it was not a part of Warsaw Pact. And it was right. not under direct supervision of Soviet Union. In fact, they had their own system, their own way that they did things. And uh, like I mentioned in the previous podcast, uh, the way that they acquired their uh, um, AKs was from Albanian uh, border guards defecting. Mm. Right. And uh, and the Yugoslavians finally getting their hands in the AKs and then they uh, went to one of the friendly country in Africa and bought 2200 of those AKs and RPKs. And that's how they developed their own unique um, reversed engineered them. Right. And, but they also not just reversed engineered them in there. They biffed them up. They made them more like robust, heavier and stuff. Yeah. Implemented that uh, the grenade launcher features on it. And so is M76 is derivative of uh, of their uh, uh, M70 assault rifle, I guess, or battle rifle. And, uh, of course, it's different, so it doesn't have that thumb-through sporting stock. It's more of like a you know pistol grip and stock separate. Mm -hmm. It's undeniable AK pedigree with the uh, milled receiver and the uh, controls. And another big thing about it was this gun came chambered in the 8mm Mauser, which Serbians or Yugoslavians knew and loved 
So I they made their uh, M48 rifles, the the Mauser copies and stuff, and they had uh, a plant that manufactured that particular round. So um, I had a pleasure of comparing all three, and I written an article it was called Three Sisters. Three Sisters. <laughs> right. Oh. And I compared the full-length um, SVD to PSL and the M76. Um, and although I enjoyed my outing that time, you know, uh, shooting all three uh, guns and, and uh, hitting the targets and stuff, and it was, um, you know, you could shoot them all day long because the rounds are not really... Uh, you know, it's not the recoil is not overwhelming on account being semi-automatic guns and kind of heavy guns. But uh, I also was supplied. I don't. I forgot who was the company, but they, it was. Uh, they supplied me with eight millimeter mouse or sniping rounds. Hmm. Okay. So, yeah, I still have a couple boxes. Those are hard to get, huh? Right. And um, but anyway, so. All three guns, obviously the SVD had a tighter groups, no doubt about it. But I shot, I did not want to use a um, um, specifically sniper designated 7N1 cartridge in comparison with the, you know, other guns. So I used the bulk ammunition, like 90s production, copper washed ammo. And of course the SVD outshot both of them. But the biggest difference between all between those guns where I would say the SVD uh, that stood on their own so to speak apart from the other two was that it was not stringing the SVD did not string this guy starts stringing on the round six mm. you know basically it starts point of impact would drop and uh, the last round the number 10 round out of, uh, compared to Round number one or two would have been about an uh, inch and a half lower. What, why do you think that is? It's a dynamic of the barrels. The barrel, as it gets hotter, it starts, uh, you know, the it's, it starts to dip. It loosens up. Yeah, it loosens up. And um, it's not a for a guy, guy who is serving with this rifle as his main weapon, it's not a big deal if he knows what uh, behavior of that rifle is. Right. Which he should as he goes to a range on many bases. I mean, many, many times in, at the base and stuff. And uh, and he sees how rifle performs, and he can uh, he can do the rapid fire, let's say, on his third magazine, round number, let's say, 23 or something, and he would know where that in, would impact. Right. It goes back shot. to the... The ethos of know your weapon, you know. Right. And, and the PSO-style scope kind of uh, good in that regard with the uh, extra chevrons and stuff or 100-meter, or oh, again, 50-meter clicks. So you could uh, you can adjust uh, uh, your impacts by adjusting elevation or using a different chevron or using the tip at the bottom of chevron. Uh, using the space in between or something like this, so you can basically develop your own dope in uh, as as your rifle starts to behave differently. Yeah. So One that of the was my. I 
negotiated with the M76 that they did was the the last round bolt hold open. The concept was good, but it didn't once you take the magazine out to reload the bolt would go forward so it kind of defeated defeated the purpose. The purpose. But yeah. at least you knew you were out of ammunition instead of getting on target pressing the trigger and committing to the shot and getting a click and no bang. But they, I appreciate what they tried to do, but they, they definitely did not perfect that. All it is, it was like a tiny little pin spring loaded pin that the follower and the magazine would push up, you know, and then part of the gun. Exactly. And uh, yeah, I see what you mean. It's sort of like a lot of people now do the safety lever with the little cutout. On the yes. on the AKs, yeah, like the, the Krebs the Krebs safety selector. Right, I don't. I mean, other than going to DNR range and to so you present your gun that it's empty, I don't see other purpose for it. The, well, but the AK the the whole AK platform is unique in the fact that it's one of the only guns that has to be on fire when you load and make ready. <laughs> right? Hey, so um, every, other, every other gun, you know, is on safe. But the AKs, you, you have to be on fire to be able to, to put one in the actual chamber. So don't um, don't uh, keep it to you close to your vest, so to speak. I just was introduced to a gentleman. Wait a minute. Who's original. Do I need to edit this out? No, no, no. Okay. No, no, no. This is okay. for the masses to hear, okay. kind of, but, but just don't go crazy looking for it. It's not ready yet. So a uh, gentleman is uh, originally from Rhodesia was educated in UK, lives here now, kind of um, uh, teaches, uh, I think it's in Colorado State as one of those major universities. And he developed a little um, add-on piece that doesn't require any permanent modification in AK that would add the ball hold open option huh. to, oh, the, to the regular AKs. And then you can take it out if you don't need it. He sent me a little brochure on it, but um, you know he's the he just obtained the patent on it, and but okay. he nice. hasn't gotten the actual patent, well, that's so a he's being a little I mean, careful. That's a big advantage, you know, having a bolt hold open on an AK would be a a, a big advantage for especially for semi-automatic. And you know, uh, think about the competition. Some of the guys run yeah. AKs in the gun gun yeah. competitions, and uh, that would be. Huge, I was thinking. He didn't. I, when I yeah. mentioned it to him, he didn't even know. He thought it was like some military application. Ah. And I said that no, but uh, the competition would be huge. Yeah, they probably don't have and a lot then, of the competitions in other countries. And the thing is, um, it's got. Uh, it's either you pull pull the bolt back and it snaps back. Or there's a button there that you push and it would snap the, the bolt or move the bolt forward. So hmm. that's coming out. So nice. I haven't covered the PSLs and, uh, and the uh, M76. I'm here to say that they are capable uh, sniper rifles. Definitely probably within the realm of a World War II SVT-40 rifle, which was designated as a sniper rifle. But there's one more. <laughs> but wait, and there's somebody, more. What is it? Yeah. If somebody would look at it and they say, it's a dragon hole. But, you know, I mean, uh, uh, Iraqis, they had a close relationship with, uh, with Serbians. Mm -hmm. 
And they have built Tabuk, which is kind of like in the modern setting, uh, or using modern te- uh, terminology, you can say it's a designated marksman rifle because it shoots 762 by 39. The Tabuk? But it's a scoped yeah. one, right. Yeah. But then there was another one, Al Kadesia. Uh, a lot of people call it Al Kadesh, but it's Al Kadesia. Mm-hmm. And if you look at it, it's a freaking dragon oak, right? Unless you, and the, unless you know, unless you take a look, double take on it, and you see that it's got a stem receiver with the bulge trunnion, just like M seventy M seventy Serbian. Battle right. Did you the, say this is the, Iraq, Iran? Who was this? Iraq. Iraq. Okay. L A L A L K A D E S I A H. Based Correct. on the SVD and PSL. So the official Iraqi designation is either Al Qadesia or Al Gadesia. So that particular gun, I think there's few of them floating around in the U.S. in collection. That particular gun, I mean, you can. Here's one. It has a pedigree from both. It's sort of like from front tuning and up, and then from the rear tuning and back is SVD. But in like right smack smack down the middle, it's a freaking uh, M70. You the, the magazine. Gun. Magazine definitely gives it away. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and the funny thing is, so the, it's got two things, right? It's got the sword on the left. And it's got a palm tree on the right, which is the both of them elements of a state emblem of, of Iraq or, you know, Saddam Hussein's Iraq. Right. This was taken, the one I'm showing on the screen was taken from his personal collection, I think. It's one of the gold-plated... Uh, the interesting thing about it is most of the magazines are interchangeable with SVD. But but most of the innards are not, correct? Oh, no. Most of the innards. No way. And uh, again, I cannot speak for um, the, the barrel quality. The other thing that would be many people who have tigers would appreciate that it had the removable flash hider. You can actually unscrew it. Which, you know, obviously in SVD it's together with the front side block. Uh, uh, Paul just texted me. He wants to give away one of his books as one of our giveaways today. So um, that book that he was just talking about, we're going to be giving away one of those today. Okay. The new Nick Orr book. Not his, but the new Nick Orr book. So cool. Let's uh, let's do. Do you have any more to add to the PSL or M seventy six, or is there something, maybe another um, European well, com I mean, block? The, the, in modern times, people try to adopt the mullet uh, Vepper rifles mm-hmm. as as a um, kind of pseudo sniper and stuff, or pseudo accurized gun. Um, they they made various barrel lengths, and uh, I had one, and I've written an article about it. I built it up, you know. I had a like a AR style stock on it, and um, 
the modern handguards and things like that. Added the flash suppressor on it. I mean, the flash hider on it. Yeah. And um, you know, put it's, some modern optics on it with the regular side mount. And um, it's actually shot really well. But it wasn't like, wow, what a gun. Which caliber was that the, using? Was seven sixty by fifty four R. Which was another thing. It was a polymer magazine with only would hold five rounds in it. Hmm. Yeah. Just so like I spoke to at the time the chief designer for Molot was this guy named Sergei Ozhumtsov. He's now head designer or head of a designers bureau at Ishmash or Kalashnikov concern. Yeah. Uh, nice guy. Really good guy. Really good engineer. Uh, me and him kind of hit it off at the time. And I just asked him outright. I said, "Look, I got this long one. I'm shooting it, and it's not really, you know, it's, what's the optimum um, length of the barrel?" And I think the one that the long one was uh, 520, 520 uh, uh, millimeters, or whatever, 52 centimeters. Yeah, 520 millimeters. So 20, 24, <laughs> 22 or 24 it's like 24 inches or something like that. Um, right under. He, and he, without hesitation, he said it's uh, 459 millimeters. You know, they're middle, medium length. Right. And that, that would display the best characteristics. And so, again, it's based on RPK. So it has the bulge, bulged out trinian, thicker uh, steel on the, on the receiver. Um, and it could be dressed up, and I think when I was suggesting that, I said anything for the U.S., you should really dress it up like a Dragunov rifle for to generate sales and spur the sales up. And they did come up with a gun that looked like that. So it was a uh, uh, kind of nice-looking rifle substitute for uh, lack of SVDs and not ample number of PSLs available. But you could yeah. still, but immediately they went up high in price. But uh, a of capable rifles. What are PSL costs now? It's ridiculous. PSL? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. We used to be six hundred dollars. Yeah. Now you, if you can't touch them for, I don't know, three grand or something, or thirty-five hundred. If if we could get SVDMs into this country, people would go crazy. because that's the modernized SVD that that is in service. And that I love seeing because of the, the things needed to be changed about the SVD. They changed it and added it. And it's, it's a serious contender in 2023 for a military semi-automatic sniper. I agree, but there's also another one made, uh, it's called SV which is CH, which is even better. So, uh, it's the one that's famous video where Putin shoots, the gun, he's got this like headphones kind of weird. They use the meme, they use that video for the meme where Biden was tripping on the on the climbing <laughs> the ladder. So every time Putin shoots and Biden uh, trips and stuff, yeah, <laughs> that's um, funny. Yeah, they have a couple couple of those good rifles, semi-automatic rifles, um, available based on again that an SV chair. Is also based on uh, on the on the um, Dragonov design, but um, so uh, to kind of continue 
moving along this st- story is the uh, M91s that start coming in from uh, Serbia, right? Which is modernized, and I believe they chambered them 308. Um, a version of uh, M76, uh, but it's kind of shorter, more modern. Uh, and I'm not sure if it's a milled receiver. I think it's in the stamped receiver, if I'm not mistaken. And those also kind of cost a pretty penny, you know. But, uh, yeah, there you have it, your sculpt uh, sniper uh, AKs. What was the What was the last one? I was trying to find it. I think it. it's, it's either M91 or M93. Okay. Depending on the caliber, I think. Here's the Tabuk. You were talking about the Tabuk um, earlier. Here's a, a picture of it. Let me bring that up. Boop. Yeah, there you go. See, it's unmistakable yeah. Yugoslavian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the forend alone is Alta. But that pistol grip. But that looks seven six two. But that doesn't look. What caliber is that? Seven six two by thirty nine. I was going to so say that's not. So yeah, you, not. yeah, if you were going to designate one of these rifles as a, a designated yeah. marksman rifle, GMR, that's it right yeah. here. That'd be the Tabuk. Yeah. And what was the other one? I'm I'm going to try to find it. M yes. M91, you uh, Serbian M91, or ni- M93, I think. About what year was it made? I mean, they currently bringing them in. So this is more. They're more modern. So I need to go down here. Yep. Uh, there's an M24. And these are just these are some from around the world. Is there's the M91? Right here. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's is a Stava. Yeah, here it is. This is a Stava M91. It's the more modern of the the yeah. uh, M76. But it's, it's still pretty. Like the SVDM is very much ahead of the of that on technology. Oh yeah, this this right here is just trying to capitalize on the looks of SVD, but still yeah. uses the uh, M76 technology so to speak but i know what you're talking about yeah the svdm is uh is a good gun but um that uh sv uh sv8 uh ch which is ch svch look at that one maybe you can find it let's see pgms there's an m93 <sighs> There's an SVU dragon off the bullpup, your favorite. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it 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 has an application. Uh, the Russian National Guard, like uh, um, internal revenue, uh, internal affairs troops, uh-huh. like a National Guard, like police, militarized police force, they adopted those because they're shorter and they can go into buildings and things like that. There's the SV ninety eight. Yeah, ninety six. No, this is nine. It says ninety-eight. Oh, ninety-eight, nine. Yeah, it's uh, it comes in seven six two by five four R or three three eight. Yeah, I shot I shot it in two thousand and one. Okay. And funny thing was, so we had uh, it was David Forty and Mark Krebs and me shooting this gun, and I'm like this freaking sniper, right? And uh, um, 
I don't think I score MOA. <laughs> One MOA with that gun. Oh yeah. David was like within within parameters, and Mark put all of his ten rounds and could cover it with a quarter. Oh really? Yeah, Mark. So he dug it, huh? The company's name of that that makes it is Smash. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a bolt. A, it's a bolt action. It's a bolt gun. Hmm? It's, a bolt gun. Um, yeah. it's a very capable gun. They were they were gonna see it comes with the. Are they trying uh, to import these into the United States? Yes, they did. Uh, they did back in uh, I want to say like um, late nineties. I would say like ninety nine, maybe two thousand, two thousand one. They brought in two shipments of them and they were first one was completely pre-sold for like seven grand a piece jeez and the other one was kind of like halfway sold and halfway they had to sell it separately when they came here and uh it actually its commercial designation is record you know yeah, name, mean, it, name it, of this it, gun it looks, is record it looks like a straight copy of an accuracy international. I was going to say exactly, Jared. So they were uh, they were going after the accuracy international with the green stock and all this. Yeah, the thumb hole loot. Yeah, the little round uh, head on the polymer yeah. head and the bolt handle and stuff. The original. See, there's a little um, little thingy sticking out uh, under the barrel at the end of a uh, handguard. Yeah, right yeah. there. That's where their uh, designated uh, bipod was right. uh, located, and then they would fold into the the, uh, the, the center of that uh, handguard. Handguard. Yeah. Yeah. And now you see that they did away with it and using regular Harris. Yeah. Yeah. And if you look at the uh, far behind on the background, that right there is the commercial version of it available in Russia for hunters and stuff, and that's what the record is. That's the difference. Uh -huh. But the ones that were brought into the U.S. and got put on the list for okay for importation were called record, but they came in with that green stock. Yeah. And it accepts original SVD magazines. Interesting. Here's here's some down here. Are these the wrecks you're talking about. Well, that looks like a Vepper. The the one above is a uh, folding stock. It looks like a Sega, maybe. Yeah, that one, the top yeah, one. You're right. Yeah. And the yeah. one, can you zoom on that uh, that little uh, written placard? I don't think it's going to zoom in anymore. Yeah, I don't know what that one is. Something else. It's all it's written in Russian. I can't read it. Yeah, it's all commercial anyway. Yeah. So these the, the SV ninety eight is that what these are? Uh, which ones? The the green ones? Yeah, the the yeah, S yeah those. Uh, yeah, there was the first attempt at uh, a bold type of action. Again, remember I was telling you how Russians and Americans look at each other and then copy the shit. Uh, you know, meaning not necessarily the rifles per se, but tactics. Yeah. And uh, that was the attempt at, uh, you know, one shot, one kill, like two, you know, uh, spotter, sniper uh, team, you know, that kind of stuff. And and uh, they, um, you know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a really good one. Yeah. Uh, as far as uh, you know, it's not a 
modern, you know, now fighting in Ukraine shows that, uh, you know, you need the multiple hits out of uh, a gun and a rapid succession. But anyway, but the Russia has this company called Orsis. And then they make a high, 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 yeah, there you go, T-5000. Now, that's all the special operations unit have designated sniper teams, you know, uh, armed with these guys. But they have a civilian market, too. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. But so many people can, not too many people can afford this gun. I mean, uh, even in Russia, it sells for about five grand. Are they they based, like, out of Moscow area? Exactly, right in Moscow. I've, I've been, I've met with them. Yeah. So the Orsus T five thousand, it's a yeah. Russian bolt action sniper rifle, first produced, developed by Orsus, and is produced in their Moscow factory. The rifle was introduced in two thousand eleven at the International Exhibition of Russia Weapons in say that name Nizhny Tagil, and is entirely in area. It says entirely original, using no third party components, according to General Director um, Dmitry, whatever his name is. Sim- yeah. Simo Zero. Simo Zero. Simo Zero. There's another guy who is a long distance shooting champion. His name is Labayev. And he started his company in the United Arab Emirates and then relocated back to Russia. He produces uh, extremely accurate rifles as well for that's being supplied to the uh, Russian armed forces. And as far as the, the Russian armed forces go, would you say that this Orsus T-5000, this is their their go-to or no, not really? What? No, it's a go-to for special operations only. What it's is, not it's like a, a, Ivan who was just milking the, the pig in his barn will huh. be issued that one. So it's a, for special operations for professional, uh, you know, snipers. Which which um, what are they using today? Just as far as their their units and S- in bulk, SVDs and SVDs. SVDs for what I showed you, uh, both of those rifles. They they uh, have a limited numbers of SVDMs, like Jared was saying, and then uh, they also have a uh, limited numbers of uh, SVCH. You know, this chip. See if you can find that gun. Orsis is trying to import into the United States, correct? Yes. I I had a Form 6 form. I did security for a a gentleman, and we went to Moscow and met with them because they were trying to import into the U.S. market. And I just remember being very, very high-end, expensive rifles. Unbelievable. And, uh, you know, so I was telling them – that it's uphill climb because you got Accuracy International, you got uh, right. uh, what's that the other one also run by a British chap, um, Accurate Rifle or something like this, and then so many, uh, so many players Very- in the marketplace, and they come in and say that I have something that is so much better. You're gonna have to prove it somehow. And you can possibly do it, but it would requ- uh, require a certain amount of investment to do that. Like, right. a, you know, you got to produce the videos, you got to show some influencers or whatever that can actually verify. Maybe even have an athlete that you sponsor that would shoot long distance and participate in competition. And, uh, you know, at that time, they were so freaking proud of this thing. They, they thought that they uh, just mere appearance in the U.S. market should, like, just take. You know, right. Everybody is this uh, SVDK? Is that the one? 
No, that's the nine millimeter thing. It's just abomination. <laughs> it looks weird. What was the one you want me to try to find? Nine point six millimeter cartridge, right? Yeah, nine point three by sixty four. That only flies like two hundred yards. But look at that magazine. Right. That looks like it would hold yeah. something bigger than a nine millimeter. Well, but Marcos, the, the the Russian forces did have an edge when it came to designing a weapon system for very close, fully suppressed, somewhat precision capability at 100 and 200 yards with the VSS, right? I hate you. I need to come visit you. What's he doing? Let me switch the screen here. Like well, this? If that's if that's three hundred blackout, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be mad at you. But if it's nine by thirty nine, I'll be I'll be okay. Nine by thirty nine. Good man, good man. <laughs> so tell tell our viewers that's what you're very, holding up there, Marco. It's called uh, VSS Vinteres. And describe semi automatic, it. and uh, obviously I'm trying to get the components to build it into uh, give it um, original full auto capability. Yeah. And the difference between this one, just uh, wait for it, wait for it. Wait for it. He's going to his bag of tricks. And this one. Da, da, da. <laughs> uh, oh, my gosh. What's so the difference? So this is uh, um, ASVAL, V-A-L. Um, the difference is it's, it's you know, folding stock. This is more of like. Um, um, Keep it up. In the yeah, Oh. That's a Cobra, the co they call it the Cobra site or something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, the original one, yeah. yeah. So this is more of like an assault gun, meaning uh, the other one is more like a close contact sniper rifle, and this one is more of a um, assault gun, and how they would determine which one is which is um, uh, one, and once they shoot the barrels, or do the test in the barrels, the ones that pass the mustard go and become VSS, and those who don't, you know, those that don't right. become wall. Gotcha. And again, it's, uh, you know, one would say, oh, it's, uh, you know, AK because it looks similar, you know, with the selector and stuff here. But in reality, it's also a totally, totally different gun. Right. The way even the internals are different, uh, where the bolt does not ride um it doesn't really have like a per se bolt. It's got the striker, uh, and it rides above the receiver. Nothing. The receiver only houses the uh, trigger group. Interesting. Hey there, Leadhead Brigade. Lefty here with some important news for you. Forecasters from the University of Arizona warn that 2023 will be a very active hurricane season, and they're asking people to get prepared. They're expecting the number of major hurricanes this year to be similar to 2017, which saw the extremely intense and damaging hurricanes that we all heard about, Harvey, Irma, and that nasty old Maria. How bad can it get? Well, when Hurricane Ida hit the Gulf Coast, it destroyed countless homes and left many without access to food, clean water, millions lost power. Most didn't have power for weeks. The floods that followed the hurricane washed out the roads, made it impossible for grocery stores to restock their shelves. Families were left hungry and desperate, waiting for help that was slow to arrive. But what if you didn't have to be reliant on the government, FEMA, your neighbor, grocery stores during these crises? The answer is simple. Be prepared with emergency food kits from 4Patriots. Their long-lasting, delicious food options are specifically designed to provide you and your loved ones with the sustenance you need when you need it the most. 
Four Patriot Survival Food Kits are hand-packed in the USA. They last 25 years. They come packed inside covert storage totes. They include a wide variety of delicious breakfasts, lunches, dinners. They've even got some snacks that are tasty. And they're backed by thousands of five-star customer reviews. Just go check out their website, 4Patriots.com, and read them for yourself. 4 Patriots Survival Food is not just for natural disasters. Because in today's world of uncertain supply chains and unpredictable emergencies, it's more important than ever to have a backup plan. Whether it's a temporary power outage, a winter blizzard, or rising food costs, which we're all feeling that these days, right? You can rest easy knowing that you have a reliable source of food to see you through it. And right now, you can go to 4 and use this exclusive code, LEADHEAD, all caps, LEADHEAD, one word, to get 10% off your first purchase on anything in the store, not just their food kits. So go check them out, 4 Use the code LEADHEAD to get 10% off your first purchase of 4 Patriots Survival Food. That's 4 guys. Use the code LEADHEAD and get that 10% off. All right, let's do this. Let's yeah. go to listener questions now. We've All got right. my we've, favorite. We've got some awesome prizes to give away. We're going to be giving away a Mission First Tactical Dump Tray with the AK Corner logo. So one lucky listener is going to get that. Uh, we're also going to be giving away Mission First Tactical uh, Drinkware. Uh, we, might, we might have the smoke bomb. We might have, uh, I don't know which, which version you're going to get, but you're going to get some one of their new drinkware uh, items. And then, of course, seal one, seal one and done. You're going to get one of their cleaning kits, complete gun care cleaning kit right here. Uh, seal one and done, CLP plus. Uh, and then, of course, Paul, we just found out Paul is going to be giving away one of those Nick Orr, the new Nick Orr books. Uh, a pipe hitter's guide to small arms and weapons just out on Amazon. Go get your copy today and we'll see if we can't get it autographed too, maybe by, by Nick. So who, whoever gets that, we'll see if we can get that autographed. So thanks to Nick for putting that up and Paul for making it happen. So first question comes to us from flood munitions. He says, are the POSP scopes truly the best option for these platforms or is it best to slap a modern long-range scope on it that we have available here stateside? I must take that one. You yeah. want me to? Oh, sure, I think it's yeah. I'm sure it's we gonna both be personal have preference. On that one. Okay, so let me go first. And then, uh, Marco's gonna say so, Elcan. Use the Elcan. Well, hang on a second. <laughs> it depends what uh, it depends what um, goal are you pursuing. Okay, if you want to keep your gun original, PSO, PSO-1, it's a full power fix. It's, um, I mean, it was light years ahead of when it first arrived, right? It's light years ahead of anything that was on, on the market at the time. You know, the technology-wise, with building BDC, with the range finding and stuff, it was like for a single operator was great scope. Uh, so if you want to, and you can still shoot well within the reason with this scope, like out, uh, I, I shot at our behind line training, uh, behind lines training, I shot at 800 meters at the LaRue tactical resetting targets, which is 18 by 21 silhouettes uh, with PSO-1, no problem. My uh, 14, at that time, 14-year-old son outshot the Blackwater 
sniper team with my S, uh, SVDS using the PSL, uh, PSL-1. So it's a capable scope. And if you want to keep your gun original and learn how to use it, then it's, you know, go for it. However, I wouldn't go crazy and put like a 26 power or even 12 power on this scope. I think on this gun, if you were going to go modern, I think 9 is probably the best for this gun. Uh, if you can find uh, the gun, uh, the um, scopes that have a 762 7. BDC built into them, even though it might be for 762 by 51, but like I said, it's uh, 400, 600 yards is minimal deviation if you shoot that long. Um, obviously, Elcon is probably it would be my preference if it was if it was me. Well, I have it. Told you. And it's a it's a great scope. I love it. Clear optics. It's flippable. If you need to flip from uh, nine to one quick, if you need something like three power with wide field view, you put it on that, no screwing around or yeah. uh, rotating anything, it's just flippable. And it's a clear optics, and I like the reticle because it's semi-transparent, and when you, uh, you know, when you put it, especially in like a, uh, you know, if you shoot an out and your reticle has a potential to cover the target or something, yeah. or portion of it, so you see right through the reticle. Um, I, you know, but there's a uh, uh, cheaper options like Hilux is a pretty good one to nine yeah. scope. Uh, primary Arms makes a a good um, primary arms seven makes six a good two one. reticle. They got a couple of different options for optics when it comes yeah. to that. You just have to be careful because to me the 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 standard that comes with it is probably the best only because. When you go to a side mount, let's say a side mount that has a Picatinny or 1913 rail, that rail will be right here on this plane. And then your rings and the scope are going to go on top of that. So now your optical offset with a regular scope usually sits about two inches, inch and a half to two inches high, depending on the mount. So to just say you want to throw a regular scope on it, you kind of have to do some research and make sure you find the lowest rings possible and the lowest mount possible. Otherwise, you're going to have a chin weld instead of a cheek weld, you know, when you're shooting. Good point, Jared. Good point. Yep. No doubt. I think uh, um, the lowest one that you can find is uh, um, made by Midwest Industries. SVD, you know, special mount, and that rides right above the Picatinny rail, rides right above the uh, Warren. Uh, the um, Warren makes some Warren scope mounts, makes some good ones also. W A R N E Warren Warren scope mounts. Huh. Yeah, they make some really good ones. Um, I've got several of mine, uh, my AKs that have the the Warrens on them. Uh, anyway, let's uh, let's go to the next one. That's good answers. Uh, Glautru, what is the most realistic ac accuracy to expect out of a long-range caliber AK? Aside from reliability and cool factor, is there any reason to pick up 
to pick one over an AK-10 derivative or an AR-10 derivative. I mean, the Dragunov. I mean, he you just showed him how accurate that damn thing is. Well, but that's Dragunov. That's not the AK sniper. It, it, I think uh, the uh, response to this question should be addressing PSLs and uh, M76s, M91s. Um, Jared, if you do, you want to comment on PSL? Sure. Your experience? I there isn't much that I would take a PSL as a priority over an AR-10 variant. Personally, I don't see the huge advantage of a PSL over e even just a, a $1,200 AR-10 that I can put a the modularity, being able to put bipods night vision rails the modularity is what the lack of modularity is what holds back the psl for me so there's not a lot of instances unless i enjoy taking my psl out walking around the ranch and shooting hogs with it it's fun for me would i want to take it on a mission or something over an ar-10 variant no i wouldn't i have i've deployed with a psl and i didn't love it but it worked. I'm I'm here. So, what are, what are your thoughts, Marco? I uh, I probably agree with you. Uh, it's probably at this point uh, PSL uh, gun or the M76 is more of like a, a fun gun to shoot and have fun with. You know, hit stuff. Uh, you know, just kind of like a sort of like a you know. Pretend in your head that you're some guy named Sergey or something sitting somewhere and shooting. But uh, as far as uh, uh, a modern appeal, I guess, yeah, it's hard to beat the AR-10 platform as far as, like, a, a, um, like you said, modularity and just the simpl simplicity of operation, like a, a just having the, the long... Picatinny rail where you can put your scope and you, you can put your uh, any kind of night vision attachments or thermals or something like this on the same platform. Um, it's just, you know, that's what the modern requirements are now for a gun. So, no, like you said, and that's you can get a pretty decent gun for uh, AR-10 for, like you said, for about $1,200, $1,500. And the accuracy also, um, uh, when you get the AR-10, then you got plethora uh, of different type of loads that you can shoot out of that gun. Develop your own um, favorite shooting complex, the the optics, right. the gun, and the ammo that you want to put through. All right, next question. Which of the DMRs would you pick? If given a chance or given a choice, I inherited a tiger. What are your opinions on that rifle? Uh, first ahead, of all, congratu congratulations on inheriting the tiger. Shep Guns asked the, this. Sorry. Huh? Uh, Shep Guns is the guy who asked this. Okay. Well, congratulations, Shep Guns, on, uh, on inheriting the um, tiger. Tiger, because they will never ever be brought back into the United States. So uh, you're sitting on gold, seven, eight, nine, ten thousand dollar gun, maybe when you're ready to sell. 
Uh, Tiger is a hunting gun. Tiger, it was neutered um, SVD. So it has internals of SVD, but it's got a shorter, um, shorter barrel. Uh, it's got, uh, it doesn't have the full functioning, unless it's California Tiger, doesn't have full functioning gas uh, adjustable system. But other than that, it's a very capable gun. Uh, with PSO-1, it should be able to shoot about the same or perform the same ballistically as, uh, let's say, a CDS. Uh, but it's, uh, I mean, it's not a military gun per se, although it has military pedigree. Mm-hmm. So, but which of the I'm, DMRs uh, would you pick uh, if given a choice out of all the DMRs? That I guess of the okay, class. So like SVD, a PSL, and a seventy-six. You think? Just yeah, just well, any of the ones we talked about, com block kind of kind of deals. Yeah, and then my tongue, my tongue does not work when somebody says DMR. DMR was a, a, a M sixteen. A2 with the three power cold scope mounted on the handle, on the carry handle. Yeah. Also known as the H bar, cold H bar. That's your DMR rifle. Well, he said right? DMR, so let's just run with DMRs then. Yeah, I think right. there's a lot of definitions to DMR, so I, I think I get we get what he's saying though. But uh, if you were gonna, if I was gonna grab a com block sniper rifle, right? Sure. Obviously, <laughs> I got two of them right here. So the SVD, I, I would not hesitate to go into a combat with the SVD or SVDS. Preferably SVDS because it's just simply smaller and easier to carry and, and more portable know. for you. Yeah. Right. But the performance-wise, uh, because of the 26 or 27 specific changes they did to a gun to make it smaller. They actually accounted for uh, keeping the ballistic characteristics the same as the long gun. Nice. What about you, Jared? Uh, I have no experience with the SVDS, but but Marco has not steered me wrong yet. So I think I'll I'll go with something I haven't used, and uh, I'll I'll go with an SVDS as well. Okay. There you go. Thank you for your trust. <laughs> Now, if we were if we were opening it up to to any sniper rifle outside of the com block, because you've got experience, obviously, Jared, with with more of the American NATO weapons. So, talk about maybe when you would go if you would pick one over that. Um, uh, you're, we're talking about a semi-automatic, any semi-automatic uh, precision type rifle. Sure. Sure. Uh, honestly, it would be towards the area that I was operating in, to be completely honest. I, I love the AR-10s and stuff, but I'm also a big fan of the delayed roller systems uh, and and things like that. And I think in some of the like the HKs. like a like a G3 type DMR MSG90 type uh, system, for the most part, it would probably be some sort of AR-10 variant is what I would probably end up taking, but I love, you know, G3s, especially accurized G G3s and things like that. So uh, it just kind of would de depend. Okay. Depend on where I was at. 
you can take the European out of Europe, but you could never take the Europe out of European. That's, that's yeah. right. Yeah. That's, that's right. Say. I had. <laughs> I know. I know. All right. Forty-seven. Yeah, we'll sorry, for, forty-seven calvary. Says the SVDK six V nine was experimental. We talked about this a little bit. Chambered in the nine point three by six four Bernicki. What are possible reasons to use, not use this particular cartridge, or try out other Magnum cartridges? Longtime listener, first time poster of question, comment. Keep up the great content. Well, thanks for finally Three, jumping in, forty seven Calvary. Two 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 words. Brown bear. That's Brown the only bear. use for that freaking gun. That's what they used it Sheep for. Hunting huh? bears. And even then, I mean, that thing is too long. Overkill on the design of everything. It's just not but practical. It's their, gun. their gun. Maybe elephants in somewhere in Zimbabwe or something. So Streamfisher1981 asked this. I don't know if you know this or not. How many of the Russian Tigers were imported? I love my 1993 B-West import. Oh, you got the B-West. The one that with all the nice features and stuff. Not many. Not many. That's why they they demand the prices that they demand every time they come up on the, for sale in the yeah. gun broker. You say a couple of thousand maybe, or if that many? Hard to tell. Probably. Yeah. But for some reason, that stupid idiot by name Cherna Mirdin and uh, another one, another stooge named Gore, did not include him in that voluntary armament restriction list. Yeah. And uh, what's the difference between that and a Sega? It shoots a little bigger cartridge. Yeah. yeah okay. Nikolai Abplanap, being a huge fan of the 54R cartridge, my original Mosin PU sniper being my favorite bolt gun, why don't we see more rifles chambered in it by U.S. manufacturers? It's only the longest-serving military cartridge still in use, if I'm not mistaken. He is right that it is, but uh, maybe Jared has a good answer for it. But uh, NATO, I just is that it? My personal experience, or my NATO. personal, you know, opinion would be that the more maybe U.S. ammunition manufacturers need to get on board with making brass cased. 7.62x54R, and it's just not a priority in their eyes uh, when they can't make 6.5 Creed more fast enough. So, I don't know. Maybe that might have something to do with it. Market-driven. Market-driven, right? So, uh, demand. Um, Years ago, Hornady made their uh, 7.62x54R match load and the VMAX bullet, I think, and it was in the steel case, which they bought out of Russia. Yeah. But I think you're absolutely right. I think it's the market-driven. Um, you know, there are a lot more guns that shoot in, um, I don't know, 243 or, or 6.5 or something like that than uh, 7.62 by 54 at this point, yeah. I think. And we also had the time of milk and honey when Russia was bringing up upwards of 100 containers a month of all kinds of ammunition from Tula and Barnall and stuff. and good portion of it was 762 by 54 r yeah. and prior to that ukraine 
Bulgaria, I mean, you name it, we're bringing the surplus stuff. So, I don't know. I think it's the market-driven decision. I agree. Okay. This is kind of a in-depth question here. Pillow pants. Have a question for Marco and anyone who has any input on the subject. I have I've heard several reports from troops working in Central Europe along the NATO border coming across men with NATO-caliber AKs with the newest Russian special operations equipment. However, according to Russian officials, these men were not Russian soldiers. Anyways, it was speculated that these groups were using NATO calibers due to ammunition being much easier to find when wandering across NATO border as well as NATO casings raising less suspicion. Being that Russia produced several rifles in 308, do you or anyone you know have any inside knowledge of special use cases uh, with that particular setup? If so, I'd love to hear it, even if you have to be vague. Wink. All right. Anyone? Um, AK-101, I believe. Or, One of uh, is the new one. They have... A one of, one of, the one that's uh, chambered in 556 was a commercial project. It was not ordered by the Ministry of Defense. Uh, so is any of the 100 series other than the AK-74M. It just so happened that uh, um, like a, a anti-terrorist units like the uh, use of 762 by 39 due to its uh, suppre uh, you know suppression ability and so the AK103 and AK104 became uh, uh, you know they they got some numbers to those guns uh, in their possession however on a large scale production of uh, AKs and 556 in Russia Never happened. However, they build a plant in Indonesia to specifically manufacture those 101s and 102s or whatever, and 556. Um, there's no of warfare going on where it warrants uh, some diversionary uh, sabotage groups going behind the enemy lines. Right now, in the dumbassery that's going on in Ukraine, both sides go in between, you know, behind their each other's uh, lines, and uh, some of the special operations Ukrainian forces are armed with the M4s, obviously because the U.S. supplying them because they can't get the ammo supply of 545 ammunition, and I'm pretty sure that the Russians are using the all spectrum that available to them. And it would be uh, 9 by 39, 762 by 39 with suppressors or silencers, 505 widely and mainly used. And then there's uh, uh, rifles that they use in 308. And lo uh, produced or sourced, uh, locally produced ammunition, which uh, Tula produces and Barnaval produces 308. And uh, as far as the accuracy is concerned, somehow it's gray marketed through European or the, even the U.S. sources. And uh, but that's not widely used. 
and not for the purposes of throw somebody's of their scent, so to speak, because that kind of warfare is not uh, warranted at this point. And uh, um, so that's about it. I mean, they use a lot of uh, things like weird calibers. They use 338 Lapua. The Russians do. I'm sure the, UN, uh, the Ukraine does. Um, they use, uh, what is it, uh, something Chitak or whatever? Chitak. Uh, large caliber. Whatever, I forgot the, the millimeter designation of it. Um, a widely used uh, 12 by, you know, 12.7 by, uh, on the Ukrainian side is by 99, which is the uh, 50 BMG. And uh, the Russians use theirs and the cord rifles and the cord machine guns, which is uh, um, 12.7 by 108. Uh, by the way, a uh, side note, um, mm -hmm. the uh, the uh, NATO 50 caliber rounds achieved its potential. It cannot, no longer can be modified to make it more accurate uh, or, um, you know, develop it further for accuracy purposes. Whereas uh, the Russian 12.7 uh, has all the potential in the world become extremely accurized round. And that's not me talking, it's talking British engineer that spent uh, uh, 16 years working for uh, Ministry of Defense in England. Now he works for uh, HNK here in Smyrna, Georgia. Smyrna, I like the way you say that, Smyrna. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Jared, but, you got any input on that? No insights. No. I, I, my guess would be AK-12. I don't know. They make different calibers. I, I don't know all the conspiracy stuff on the border. They make two main characters, which, I mean, no, AK-12 is AK-12, and there's AK-15 and 7.62. But uh, AK-12 is 5.5 gun. Yeah. But Mid if they were going to use, if they were going to use, let's say, a 5.56, they captured so many, um, you know, captured guns and almost like every unit you know look at the pictures and stuff and i'm kind of looking at them every day and they, they'll be over there with the uh you know with the m force or some kind of completely decked out ar gun um like if you take a ahmad special uh, forces uh, there's uh one of the commanders there is apti aluidinov his uh, personal guard is carrying a, uh, AR guns. Um, obviously, the uh, the Wagner group, when they were clearing the Bakhmut area, a lot of the guys, like a, on the command level, carried the captured uh, M force. But it's more like a I have it and you don't type of deal, and I'm 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 uh, you know I'm better than you because of that <laughs> type of deal or. I shot that guy and I got his gun type of deal, mm -hmm. but it's not uh, official doctrine or adopted by any of the units as an official weapon. Gotcha. Uh, let's see, another question here, or is this just a statement? Midwest Savage, I wish I had one. Not a question, just a comment. Me okay. too. <laughs> 
Just, let's see. We talked about that J. Edgar Paradox, who did clones of the SVD and how well did, did they do. We talked about that. Slug Nutty, will we ever get Brian Keeney from Occam Defense Solutions back? Please. Uh, he was on two episodes ago uh, when we had um, Brad Thor, the author Brad Thor on. He was on that episode. So if you want to get your fix of Brian, go back to that episode and uh, check it out. It was a really, really good episode about Brad Thor's new book. Uh, let's see. I don't know if maybe because we got an American sniper and we got a Soviet sniper here, this question might be fun. John Adams the third asked, "How did the u the use of Soviet snipers differ from that of the United States?" I guess the the philosophy of using the sniper in in combat is maybe what he's asking. But did you have t two different philosophies or not? Yeah, I, I think like Marco stated earlier, where the Russians would have one sniper in a platoon of infantry, we have a, a platoon of snipers in an infantry battalion. And so we would operate in usually four man teams. And so each four man team was designated to either a boat company, a track company, a helo company or a weapons company. And we were their attachments for that. So generally we would go out in four man uh, sniper teams. What what would they be armed with? Bolt guns or uh, two? Would two would have bolt guns and handguns. Maybe an M16, depending. One would have a, a one may have a 50 cal, a Barrett 50 cal, maybe depending on the mission. And uh, the others would have usually some sort of like M203. Uh, you know, M16, M2 uh, grenade launcher capability uh, with all of our, even back when I was in before the Marine Corps went to uh, ACOG sites on all their guns, we had fixed four power and the shitty Colt uh, three power uh, as well. But all of our M16s had some sort of optical sight on them uh, as well. Okay. Well, it sounds to me like it was a fire support mission group, like it would cover, it would set behind the unit, maybe providing the support, at attacking the high value targets, like a, maybe a cruiser weapons or something like that. Or was it designated mission, like go and take something out? It would depend. Obviously, it depends on the mission, right? If we're just, I mean, most of the time, a sniper unit is not being deployed to take out a physical target like an HVT type of thing. Most of the time it's an overwatch surveillance, counter surveillance, counter IED. Um, yeah. Machine gun positions, artillery positions, all that stuff. But a lot of the, a lot of the sniper mission is reconnaissance and surveillance more than it is going out and just, you know, dumping a dude that, you know, the Intel section wanted. It's actually a good point you brought up because the, the, you know, observe and report probably the main, uh, mission for universally for any kind of sniper, but okay, mine I can't um, I cannot um, speak for regular infantry, right? Even uh, like in uh, the from the airborne point of view, or although you know I'm familiar with their tactics, but 
we were, you know, a small unit. We had 27 people in our unit, and we would deploy as a unit up every time. And uh, we we had a mission within that unit. The snipers had the mission, so we didn't have, uh, uh, let's say, a support team or anything behind. We would uh, often be a part of the fire support team, which would be with the grenade launcher uh, operators as well as the machine gunners set back uh, behind the uh, main infantry, well, main unit, the assault unit, uh, fire group and stuff, um, uh, and the ambushes and whatnot. We would provide overwatch if we would be assaulting the strongholds and things like that. But uh, it's, um, I carried, you know, I had a radio. I would, I would stay in direct communication with a group, a leader, and, um, you know, it's kind of like the, the, the three basic missions is uh, observe and report, uh, overwatch over uh, assault group to uh, assault the strong holds, and uh, in ambush, we provide uh, fire support. Right. So, you know, like take out the point guard after they pass the kill zone, and, and then take out, the, like I said, the... Uh, like a machine guns, right. uh, any kind of grenade launcher operators that will pop out and try to aim a carrot at us. And, and that's you know, like differentiate between green side or what we call green side and black side missions. So black side mission would be urban. And a lot of that time we would be in civilian clothes and not designated in a uniform and everything was very covert. And we were trying to, to blend in as best we could with, you know, host nation partisans and things like that. Green side, totally different. Yeah, we, we we didn't do any of that. We were always uniformed. Uh, we were a force on force type of deal, um, and uh, you know, so that's I can only speak from my experience. I can't say what the other people were doing. No, <laughs> that's all you. Mean, that's all you can speak to. out there doing shit. You know, sometimes you kind of like. Oh, I think I think it all entangles into the same thing. The the the. The Russians, the Americans, the Brits, the Aussies, it's its a sniper mission. Nobody's really doing anything completely different than the other. Two. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. I mean, it's uh, its sort of like a um, a tool in your tool bag, right? It could be uh, Crossman or uh, DeWalt or whatever, Milwaukee or God yeah, only yeah. knows what, but it performs the same thing. Yeah. And one can argue, oh, well, Milwaukee does this, it's better. And I'm like, oh, can you seal my uh, whatever? All right, next question. That I think you guys thoroughly answered that. Uh, come out and play. Is there any hope on the horizon for a statewide manufacturer dipping into long-range comblock rifles, or even just supplying ammo? Yes. More than me. I, I don't. I don't know of anything. I'm working on something. I'm working on something that I might be There's bringing more in fags in. You know those fags that made the splash a few months ago, the Hungarian SVDs. Yeah? Yeah, I just put in a Form 6 for them uh, today. So okay. we might be bringing those things. So we keep it separate with Marco after this. Absolutely. And then there's a possibility of me getting the main components, like a kit's newly manufactured, minus the barrel and minus the bolt itself. So I need to find the stateside manufacturer. Well, the barrels is easy. But the bolt manufacturers, I need to find someone to produce that. And we can, it's quite possible that we can produce state side or US made SVDs. 
well, the, most of the components will be made elsewhere in the particular country that starts with T and uh, uh, ends with Y, or maybe IE, but it rhymes with Turkey. Doesn't know if they're Muslim <laughs> or in that they're still confused. It rhymes right? with Turkey. They make and, good shotguns. Uh, we, we would, uh, and we would put them together here. Okay. But this is something that. So you're telling me there's a wants chance. To invest in this. If anybody wants to invest in this, I welcome the. I if, would welcome. If they could get in touch with you, they probably would. All right. Well, whatever. I mean, uh, hit me up, I and I can get you in touch with Marco. Yep. All right, next question. PPRN, do they make extended magazines for guns like the Dragunov and or large frame AKs? I need all the pews I can get. Have you seen one, Jared? <laughs> i never if, seen if it. If there was one, I wouldn't trust it. Yeah. I agree. It's sort of like that calamity with the 60-round uh, magazine. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. Yeah, I want uh, one. For the Dragunov, yeah. I know that... Um, AVT-36, which is automatic, oh, I'm sorry, AVS Simonov, automatic rifle Simonov 36 that had a 20-round magazine, but it was gun-specific, and it was a fully automatic freaking rifle. It's like picture a rifle being fully automatic, fully automatic. And it didn't work well, so the, the Russians didn't really uh, produce many of them, and very few were used in any kind of uh, fighting. Yeah. All right. Nine three tactical. Who do I have to shank to get a range day with Marco and a Dragonoff? I mean, come to Ann Arbor, Michigan. I'll be glad to uh, accommodate. There you go. Nine three tactical. Uh, I think that's pretty much all of them. Bobus 1776. How does the Al Kadish compare to the Russian made Dragunov? Is it on par or substandard? I don't think we talked a whole bunch about the comparative of the two, but I would think there's no comparison, huh? Get a Dragunov. Unless you get the gold plated Al Kadish, then. That's a no, great... Al Qadisia uh, gun is rare, and it definitely has uh, appeal as a col collector's item. Something that you would uh, whip out in front of your friends and say, "Hey, y'all, check check out this thing I got." But as far as like a functioning and stuff, I mean, uh, I mean, I think I think the Iraqi army had more Dragonovs than they had the Al Qadisias. Yeah. All right, last question. Mustang Perry, what is the best bang for the buck on a long-range AK? Which one has the best features authenticity? So we disqualify the SVD because the question is AK. Right. What do you think, Jared? Um, long-range AK. Well, the question was, like, what's the bang for the buck? The best bang yeah. for the buck? Basically, yeah, a good quality, long-range AK that's not expensive. I, I don't know if, I mean, I, let's, just, are we, let's just say less than $2,500. I mean, it would have to be, right? I mean, to get anything that... Yeah, I don't. 
nothing jumps out at me with with those uh, with those little variables in there. And long I range, was, and again, yeah, long range is subjective for some people too. So, right, yeah. there's there's two guns that kind of jumped at me. One of them, of course, the uh, the newly uh, brought in uh, or introduced by Zastava M91. That's one. And the other one is the mullet, if you, you know, the vipper. Uh-huh. Yeah. But that's, I guess what can, the, the best bang for the buck is what threw me off there. Cause both of those are pretty, pretty pricey, aren't they? I think they within 2,500 bucks maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Marco would, Marco would definitely, I'm not familiar with the, um, the. Vippers. No, the Vepers I am. What was the first one you? The the new uh, Zastava, the new uh, Serbian M91. Uh, yeah, I'm not familiar with that one. It's basically a new take on a M76, except it's not milled receiver, it's stamped receiver. And I think it's in 308 instead of, uh, or 762x54R. Uh so that's where I don't. Uh, but they they available if um, right now. But they they do they are pricey, and to me from where I'm sitting, I'm not willing to pay that much money for it. Yeah. But but it's the cheapest. Another way to go maybe is finding the PSL kit, and then having a, a gunsmith put one together and like a. a I think no doubt makes those receivers or somebody else makes receivers. Um, PSL no receivers. No, no doubt probably doesn't, huh? And then have a, somebody put it together, the reputable uh, gunsmith put it together. I think that might be uh, the w- one way to get into the company. Either way, it's not going to be cheap. No, not anymore. It's not. Yeah. Um, I think I. Read all of it. pool operator. If you had a choice to have the Galil Ace and 308 or a PSL, which would you take? The Galil Ace. <laughs> Me personally. And yeah, Galil. I love. I think Galil's. we kind of like covered that earlier, right? With the modern yeah. 308. Gun. Here, here. You know why I had a PSL on some of my deployments? Because that was, was given to me, and it was the only <laughs> thing available. So I don't want to diss the PSL because I do like it, but for life and death situations, I'm I'm pretty much looking for different options. In Russia, there's a saying like, uh, "When the fish doesn't bite, even the crow dead's a fish." You know, like uh, the the crayfish. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, if you don't have anything else, yeah, you grab that. But uh, if you had the choice, you know, you go for a modern platform every time. Yeah. All right. Beard Farmer 1. Has anyone ever made a good 5.56 AK? Well, I mean, the that commercial 100 series, the... Uh, um, you know, Ishmash made those in the early 90s and through the 90s and tried to pedal them and stuff uh, mm-hmm. to NATO countries. Uh, that was pretty solid platform. I believe that the, AK, uh, the KUSA, their latest offering is 
they have AK a 556. Yeah, they've got a 556. What about um, Pioneer Arms? They make a 556 now. They do. <laughs> they do. And I, I do care. What's wrong with me? I'm a terrible salesperson. Yeah, you are. <laughs> but the, yeah, they do. It's pretty decent gun. The, the biggest problem we uh, encountered was the magazines. Yeah. Very few and far in between. We can't, uh, you know, the gun comes, usually our 7.62 guns come with two. This one comes with one. But you can <laughs> have them in the underfolder, wood, plastic, either way. But. Do you have to use, does it have its own specific 5.56 mag or could you use? No, a- anyone, like a Pol- like Polish Tantel. Yeah, um, the KUSA. Tantel, the barrel. Yeah, any, 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 uh, Okay. Two to three or five, 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 six magazines will go. Yeah, I really liked them when you guys, uh, we featured them at, um, was it NRA or SHOT Show? We featured them. NRA. NRA. Uh, yeah, I, I really thought they were not. I mean, it, obviously, to get to shoot it, but, you know, just uh, handling they, it, taking it apart and looking at it and everything. I mean, it looked really solid. Yeah, we, I run a, I run like AK Academy over here at the Ann Arbor um, Arms French, you know, Three yeah. level classes like fundamentals, intermediate, and and the uh, advanced. And uh, I have a fleet of these guns that I lend if people. You know, the key is you don't have to have a gun to take my class. I'll bring a gun for you. And uh, we've been running them since April. Not a single malfunction. Nothing. Not misfit. Not speaks volumes right there. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like. This is just my opinion, right? I know that there's great 5.56 AKs. To me, a 5.56 AK is as appealing as a 7.62 by 39 AR-15. Like, <laughs> yeah. to me... It's I wasn't going to go there, but he was specifically asking, you know, AK, 5.56. I, know, like, I have to applaud to that one. I just, to me, it's just like, it's not right. Yeah. You know, it's it's like, why? You're trying to pull... Uh, like a, again, another rushing saying: uh, you're trying to stretch the owl over the globe. You know, like a, one of those spinning globes. You know, it's like why? You know, just the, although rare occasion where sort of match made in heaven would be a nine by thirty nine AR that lends itself perfectly. Seven six two by twenty five AR. Let's do it. <laughs> I never, never came across that one, but um, interesting. All right, let's give Who's some shit away, guys. Like let's give shit away. So we got right. uh, twenty-two. What's the, what's the biggest and the best one? Well, I mean, I guess it's probably subjective. So we've got the the book. We've got the seal one. We've got the mission first tactical uh, leddies drinkware, and then we've got the mission first tactical. Uh, dump tray with the AK corner logo there. So let's okay. start off with. Opinion. Huh? I I took some notes down that. Um... Okay. Oh shit! Was I supposed to be taking notes too? No, uh, no, no, uh, no, no, no. Let, let me rattle one for you. Like for example, for a book. Okay. I like the very first. Uh, question about modern optics. 
Okay. Would you say it was a good one? Yeah. I, yeah. It, it had a lot of good uh, conversation. So that's Flood Munitions. So that that's Evan. And okay. uh, so Evan, uh, email me, talking.gmail.com. You get uh, Nicholas Orr's new book, The uh, Pie Pitter's Guide to Small Arms and Warfare, something like that. Hold on. I got it right here. Pie Pitter's Guide to Small Arms and Weapons. There you go. Fresh out on Amazon. Go check it out. Nicholas Orr. Uh, thanks to Paul for arranging that for us to give away. All right, next one. What's the next uh, let's high give, value? Let's give uh, the, this drinky drinkware away. I, I think we had a... There was I've got a, a whole bunch of them. That's, it was a, i got a whole bunch oh, of them. Back oh, yeah, look at that. All different shapes so, and sizes. A question that sparked really interesting discussion uh, with Jared and me, and then we're coming to the same denominator at the end. It was different sniper philosophies and stuff. Okay. I think that was a pretty good question. Yeah, yeah that, that was, was a good, good question. question. Let's go look this up. Uh, that is, that is, I'm trying to find it. I think it was like the difference between U.S. and Russian snipers or something like that mm. was the question, I think. Here it is. No, this is a, what's the difference between a dragon off and the U.S. equivalent? We didn't answer it. We didn't. While I'm looking for it, you guys answer this. What are the key differences between the Soviet Dragunov and its equivalent US-308 sniper rifle, Jerry Black? Well, <laughs> go ahead, Jared. <laughs> well, I think just let's just say the SR-25 or the M110 is what we're talking about on the US semi-automatic side. I mean, I would have to, in fairness, compare it to an SVDM or some a current model SVD because I have a lot of respect for the SVD platform. So to compare it to a, a, a M110 to a gun made 1963 isn't really the fairest, but um, I just think the modularity, uh, the the ease of reloading, the suppressor capability, everything is just a little bit easier to me on the American versions. Um, do I want to run out on a mission with a suppressed SVD that's tricked out? Fuck yeah, sign me up. I would love to do that. But I think at the end of the day, the US models are still getting the accuracy and modularity capabilities over the, the SVDs. I'll be, uh, I would agree with you on the modularity and potential accuracy. Uh, I would uh, yeah, I, I also agree on SVDM and SVCH, which is the new gun based on SVD, which offers you, I don't know, 15 feet of Picatinny and shit. But no, I mean, seriously, the full full length, yeah. so you can use all kinds of components on it. I mean, the, the modularity and the sniper rifle really boils down to uh, uh, bipod and the and the variety of optical implements and stuff, or sighting implements. Uh, yeah, no I flashlights, no packs, no none of that shit, right? Yeah, I, I think one of the, the main the main things about the the AR or the SR twenty five system is that I could, in theory, have a red dot with a 12 inch barrel 308 upper on my lower. And if I wanted to, I could have an 18 or a 20 inch upper receiver with a magnified optic and put it on there and, and go and have 
you know, two weapon systems for, but, for the but missions. It would be changing not just a mission, it would be changing the uh, how that particular individual would be deployed as an infantryman, an assault man, or, or a sniper guy. So in that case, I'll just grab my AK-74 and my uh, dugout, right, instead of the yeah. SVD. It's, I'm thinking that uh, um, that particular, like a AR-10 based platform was pulled into the sniping rather than was designed as a sniper rifle. The SVD absolutely has that over everything, for right. sure. So, the, 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 designate, the, the reason it was designed, which I think I kind of touched on when you weren't here not that you don't know it, but we went into like my appreciation for the SVD is that it was the first rifle, semi-automatic military sniper rifle designed specifically to do that mission. Yeah, I'm just I'm just going to hold it like this for you, Jared. <laughs> ah. All right. So the the, the so guy who asked the question, question about the uh, snipers, the difference between the Soviet and the United States sniper, that was John Adams the third. So John Adams. John Adams the third. Uh, you have won yeah. the drinkware for Mission First Tactical. Uh, shoot me your contact info, and uh, we will get you that. So here's what I'm going to do on the next two. So the Seal One, and this is a this this is my opinion. This is the best prize there is. Is the Seal One? It is pretty good. Um. I'm going to go to the guy who's his first time, long time listener, first time caller. And that was 47 Calvary. 47 underscore Calvary. You are the winner of the Seal One Complete Gun Care Kit, CLP Plus. Uh, email me, talkingletgmail.com. I'll need your contact info, shipping info uh, to send that to you. And then for the tray. We're going to go, I think I saw some, another kind of a new participant here. Stream Fisher 1981. I don't think I've seen your, your name before. So Stream Fisher 1981, you win the dump tray for Mission First Tactical. So shoot me an email, talking at gmail.com, all the winners. I need your contact info, shipping address, that kind of stuff in order for you to get your, your prizes. Uh, Stream Fisher 1981 asked how many of the Russian Tigers were imported. I love my 1993 B West import. That's the question he had. Uh, a brag much? Yeah, yeah we get it. Much. Going a Tiger. Congratulations. Yeah. So as you take it apart and work on it, you can use that dump tray uh, as your parts tray. So I use it every day, by the way. Yeah? Do you need another yeah. one? I can send you another one if you need it. Well, I'll give it to my son. You met him, right, Brendan? Yeah. Yeah, I'll send yeah. you another one. Now, you seen Jared. Jared, I got some stuff coming for you, too. So, Likewise. Be on the lookout. It hasn't shipped yet, but it's coming. Um. Yeah, I think that, that was everybody. So thanks to everybody who participated. Appreciate all your questions, as we do each and every month for the AK Corner. This has been a, a really good show, very informative. I know it could have been a lot more. We could have gone a lot deeper with Marco. Uh, sometimes he, he goes real deep into the woods. Um, I know, and, and, and it sounded like a criticism, and I, I It agree. is not a criticism. It is, <laughs> it, is, it is regret that we couldn't do this for like six hours because I would love to, and I know our listeners would love to hear it, but that gives us more to talk about on the next episodes. So that's true. We don't want to completely drain your wealth of knowledge in one episode. So, 
Uh, greatly appreciate Jared coming back for the second time. So Jared, thank you for being on. And nice meeting you, Jared, too. Very nice to meet you, Marco. Like I said, go back uh, to our previous episode. Jared uh, was on that. We talked about uh, the blades that he makes, STA blades. Um, I don't think Marco heard that. We'll talk off air, Marco. I'll introduce you to to him and talk about his blades. Uh, And then, of course, Marco, Marco Vorbeef, um, his books on Amazon. You go to Amazon to get his books. And he's got a lot of other things in the works, but we just don't know how to go look at it or order it from him. So just to let him uh, get a hold of you, and then you ammo, can silencers, guns. Oh yeah, silencers. We got. Uh, we finally got our second. Uh, uh, so we had the hammer, right? We uh, featured it in the last uh, episode, and now we finally got the sickle, okay. which is the a hammer. shorter. And and uh, slightly thicker, but as far as like uh, it's all about the girth. Are concerned, it's about the same as the other one, and uh, they awesome. They just, I mean, they so quiet. Did you and, get my uh, email like, with you and yeah, Art? There's, there's one in the works. It's gonna go to the uh, Royal Range. Okay, just let yeah. me know when that, so I can keep an eye out, so I know to look. Yeah, for. I will. I will. Uh, I also want to get yeah. one of those five five six AKs. So. Keep that in mind. Okay. Put me down for a 762 by 39 AR. <laughs> <laughs> AR? I just I built one. I got one built. I, I, I love the magazines for those. You know, like. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> they, look, they look like a boomerang. Yeah, exactly. In like 90 degree or something. Yeah. There you go. Look at that. That's a smile. You know, the be- I guess the best thing for. Um, that platform would be if you would accept the AK Max. Yeah. You know, like uh, I think uh, who was it? The Rock River made one. Uh, yeah. Palmetto State. LA. Palmetto State Armory makes one. I, I used to work for. It takes HK, AK Max. I'm just saying. And, and when when HK first made the 417, do you know what magazine it took? Which one? It took a G3 magazine. Oh really? Yeah. There you it's, go. It was awesome but then they changed it to a proprietary you know polymer you had a g3 mag every continent on the world has g3 magazines on it stacks of stacks cmmg makes um the mutant that takes ak mags yeah yeah Yeah, that's a that's a good you know it was like a dream of mine to have an ar and 505 that would take the ak 74 mags but yeah uh, I, th- I think there are better guns than that out there. Yeah, definitely. So, All right, guys, that does it for this episode or this month's uh, AK Corner. Make sure you tune in each and every month. Go back, listen to the past episodes if you haven't caught those yet. Uh, wealth of information over the past five years uh, of the AK Corner and uh, more to come. So next month, Marco, do you want to pick the topic again or – well, we we were going to talk about um, the smoothbore, you know, like a shotguns. Yeah. But I think you already had an episode. We could do that. another one. We could do another one. Yeah, because there's a couple, few actually, players in the market. Yeah. That came in with new product and stuff. Yeah. And uh, we've got. We can do the show and tell here as well. Yeah. So um, we'll we'll plan on doing that, and then we've also got the AK versus AR annual battle 
episode coming oh, I, up. I got to train for that one. <laughs> I got I got to go in the training camp for that yeah. one. We'll, we'll, Lose we'll, a few pounds. <laughs> start get my movement back. So I've been talking yeah. to to Dooley uh, over at the AR15 podcast. He's usually the captain of the AR team and what we're talking about doing Marco is we're going to we're going to rent a range maybe next year. And we're going to have Team AK versus Team AR, and we're going to do like a competition relay with Team a- AK versus Team AR and and do something like that. And we'll live stream the show and... and the, the, the pitfall of have those prizes. arguments, by the way, so, so you know, and that needs to be addressed in the beginning. What's that? It's comparing apples to apples and oranges to oranges, not freaking... Crisscross. No, no, well, no, no. Comparing the a, a, a twenty-four um, inch barreled uh, M sixteen A four to sixteen inch barrel AK or AKM or something, it's, it's, you might as well be comparing it to. No, no uh, we'll have apples, apples to apples. Pistol. So we'll have just like a stripped down bare minimum AR, AK, and then if for one of our competitions, there'll be tricked out like ah, okay. trick so, it out as like, best as you oh, can division than the stock division okay yeah but we'll we'll have certain um i already know who like top shot from the AK. we'll have different skills oh we lost uh jared jared timed out on us but anyway uh All guys right. that's coming up uh i guess we'll do the the smooth bore next next month We'll, we'll get that set up, prepared. And uh, until then, Leadheads, I want to see those emails coming in, see your uh, suggestions for guests, topics for the AK Corner. Not only the AK Corner, but our regular show, too. Uh, make sure you tune in for that each and every week. The Talking Lead AK Corner each and every month. So, Marco, again, thank you so much. Appreciate it. And, Leadheads, oh, we will s- see you next month on the All AK right. Corner. All right. Thank <laughs> you.